boy. Episode 72 could have been so good. It still can be good. It'll still be good, yes. But it could have been. Oh. People could have been like standing in line to, to download the podcast <laughs> for episode right. 72. We were, we were this close, and my fingers are how many inches apart? We were this close and a half. to people downloading episode 72 faster than episode one, yes. for goodness sakes. And I was that close to hugging like 70 strangers. <laughs> I would have flipped out if the Seahawks score there. I'm flipping out. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. I mean, we discussed maybe not talking too much about the game and the tease. Yeah, How is that possible? Well, we're not going to. We're, we're just going to set We're going to set up episode 72, okay. and we're going to make people understand those that don't like to hear us after losses, there's still that group. I don't know how big that group is mm-hmm. that just doesn't want to doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to rehash it. Saw it, is over it, is on. They're on to Philadelphia. They're yeah. on to the Eagles, and they don't want to hear. So we have to set the show up and, and alert people that the whole sh- the whole show is not going to be about the game that was on Sunday Night Football. That's right. Yeah, the whole show won't be. No. Yeah. The first section with you and me will be, we'll have Brady Henderson in the second section, mm-hmm. but there'll be Rick Neuheisel on the national semifinals of college football. Well, there'll be Mike DeCourcy, hopefully, at this late hour. Uh, I'm thinking Mike DeCourcy of, <laughs> of this morning news will be with us to talk about the NFL playoffs and about college basketball. There'll be other stuff. We'll do the other stuff segment. Oh. You and I love it. Do, do you have a lot of the other? Oh, I got plenty. Got lots. So, so 72 is not going to be all about the what kind of word do you want me to use what is the word what's the noun to describe what we saw the disaster was it a disaster was it a travesty was it a failure was it a heartbreak i know that if i were at the ballet i wouldn't be feeling the way i feel right now recording with you on a sunday night <laughs> that's right. i know that i know that's true i'd be fine if i was at the ballet tonight but how would we feel if they would have got lsu'd you know, if it was like 50, oh like, God. how would we be feeling right now? Well, that's part of what I want to talk to you about, actually, in the mm. first segment when we talk about it. Okay. Because I think I told you on episode 71P, which was our last patron episode. Yes. Uh, right after Christmas. We released it right after Christmas. I think I said to you either on or off, where we're recording when I said to you that I think they'll either, they'll either win both. If they beat the 49ers, they'll win the first week of the playoffs. But if they lose the 49ers game after what happened in the Cardinals game, I know everybody's going to say, well, they're going to Philadelphia. They're going to the NFC East. They, they've already won there. Yeah. I think I said to you that I thought that they would actually lose both games, that, that their season was done, right? Yeah. I think I'm changing my mind about that <laughs> only because of the way they played in the fourth quarter. That's I think right. they have a little bit – if they use it the right way – I mean, this could go one of two ways, right? They could be just shell-shocked and just – deflated over coming up an inch short with what happened down the stretch, and we'll talk about it. Or they could somehow use the fourth quarter, what happened in that comeback, as momentum, as kind of a launching board, a launching pad to the Eagles game. Which way will it go? Will we see a flat team next week that's just disappointed to not having won the NFC West? Or will we see a team that's got a little bit of renewed juice because they came back when nobody thought they were going to and damn near won that game on Sunday night? Which team will we see against the Eagles? Is this us still not talking about the game? No, we haven't started to talk about the game <laughs> Okay, yet. I'm just curious. We're just setting up the show. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, I can't. I have so many questions. I know we can't do it, but run the route. 
six inches deep. Don't, we're okay, not sorry. talking right, about right. the show. Gotcha. We're not talking about. But the, that's interesting. We're not talking about rather the game. <laughs> the show is okay. What you brought up though is interesting. Which team is going to show? I I tend it can to go either yeah, way. I this tend can to go I, either way. I, th- I don't think Russell Wilson's going to let him sit around, suck their thumbs in the fetal position, and be bummed out. I don't think he'll let him do it. They should be very proud of themselves. I was impressed. Did it feel- moral victories? Are we talking moral victories in the T section? Did you already bring up a moral wow. victory in the T section of the show? I don't think moral victories are allowed until at least segment one, maybe segment five. Okay, gotcha. All right. Episode 72, not sure where you're listening or how you're listening, most on Apple Podcasts, some on Spotify. You can always hear us on MitchUnfiltered.com and get yourself a Mitch Unfiltered coffee mug if oh, you'd like. I have the, the, the traveler. What do you call that thing? The coffee? That's hot- a... Um, uh, There's a word for that. It's not traveler. No, it's called a traveler. No, it's not a traveler. What is that called? It's the. Um... Anyway, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I use it every single day. Well, we got a lot of merchandise. You can get it much. Works you, great. Can get, you can get sweatshirts and t-shirts and all kinds of merchandise at Mitch Unfiltered. I should have probably said this before the the Christmas holiday. It would be a nice Christmas gift. But if you'd like to go to MitchUnfiltered.com and do some shopping, you can. The last Mitch Unfiltered episode of 2019. That's what we're here. This is it. So after we do. What will be Thursday's first one of 2020, Mitch Unfiltered will have been heard in 2018, 19, and 20. In portions of three years, this podcast has somehow, I don't know how, survived. And they said you'd only make it three episodes. What do they know? (laughs) What do they know? Look at us rolling along I said we'd only make it three episodes. That's right. I don't know who they are. (laughs) But anyway, we'll have episode, what, 72P, the first episode of 2020 will be released what will be what when's january 1st wednesday so january 2nd yes will be episode 72p for patrons if you'd like to become a patron you go to mitchunfelter.com and you click become a patron it costs five dollars everybody knows that by now um i'm ready for you by the way to drive again episode i like it oh really i i don't know whether other people i'm trying to get a sense i try to ask tonight yeah I shouldn't say tonight. Sunday oh, night yeah. at Daniel's. Yeah. I like it when you drive. There is a different feel hmm. for me. It makes it easier for me to kind of jump in and share opinions and stories. I don't know why the segues are easier for me than I like. I kind of like it when you drive. You should have been a co-host your whole life. You might have been kind of good at it, for God's <laughs> sakes. Who knew? I was actually thinking maybe we could do that because it's like a holiday week, you know, for the for the P1. Maybe we can do that again. If you want, I don't know, because, you know, it's a holiday, although yeah, yeah. there is a big playoff game coming yeah, no, up. We'll have a guest. You mean no guests? Are you saying no guests? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you should drive, but I think we should have a guest or two okay. talking about Good. the playoffs and yeah. talk about on episode 72P. Anyway, before we get to 72P, let's do 72, okay? <laughs> okay. Coming up good. on 72, Brady Henderson, Seahawks ESPN Insider, Rick Neuheisel of CBS, Got to bust his chops on his semifinal picks. By the way, nobody picks college football games as well over the years even against the spread as Rick Neuheisel. But he flopped like nobody's business in the two semifinals on our show, on episode 71. You get to hit the, the buzzer sound effect on him? I don't. I only have a bell. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's applicable in this case. Well, no, when he's wrong, there's a buzzer sound effect yeah. that, that Steve hits, right? Yeah. yeah so. Oh, yeah, he'll have to. Yeah, yeah. I can't hit it from here. No, that's, you that's, cannot. That's more sophisticated. <laughs> that's right. Rick Neuheisel of CBS, Brady Henderson, Mike DeCourcy, Hotshot Scott, me. We're going to obviously talk all about the Seahawks... 
Missed it by that much, oh. as Maxwell Smart used to say. We'll do all of that in the, the first segment. We'll talk Seahawks football against the Niners and, of course, the playoff game against the Eagles. In the second segment, Brady Henderson will discuss what he saw when he was there and the reaction in the locker room and who's hurt and Michael Kendricks' yeah. injury and Trey Flowers and all the different injuries and who's going to play in Philadelphia and who's not. And then after those two segments, numbers one and two, we'll get away from the Seahawks for the people that don't want to just revel in the madness that was Saturday night. See, when you listen to a radio show, you're forced to listen to whatever they're doing at that particular time. And all the radio shows in the morning will be about the Seahawks every segment, every day. That's right. So you can, with this podcast, if you want to hear a little of that, listen to segments one and two. If you don't, Boop, boop, boop. Oh, Just great. go right to segment three, and then you'll hear two interviews, and you'll hear our other stuff. I got a lot of other stuff. Oh, I got a lot. I too. got a lot of other Busy stuff. Weekend. And I got a great athlete of the week. Oh, athlete I can't wait. The- well, you know who it is. You should oh, know who I, it is. I saw the athlete of the week. Oh, Amazing. So great. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, episode 72. Before we begin episode 72, officially, our thanks to our partners, Zeke's Pizza, hung out with some Mitch Unfiltered listeners at the terrific Kirkland location for the Cardinals-Seahawks game. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, Sports Pizza Craft Beer, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, it was great to be back for the Niners-Seahawks game, our third such viewing party at the newest downtown location in the Hyatt Regency celebrating its 40th birthday this year, the king of special occasions, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the new year here makes certain you give Jordan Flowers' team a call, 425-250-3150, just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling out thousands and thousands of dollars to do whatever renovations the kirkland office of guild mortgage and evergreen golf call a premier wealth manager in the northwest with offices along the west coast and not only the originator of evervestment.com a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of evergreen's clients have but still want to grow our money they are also one of the biggest reasons that mitch unfiltered continues to crank out shows Week after week, check them out, evervestment.com, Evergreen Golf Call. All right, episode number 72 begins right now. Unfiltered. This is the year that you can come out of the woodwork. And so Washington is sitting here with all these young, young freshmen. If you said to me right now, the the Washington Huskies are going to go to the final four with this group, with Isaiah Stewart and, and McDaniels and Green and all these guys, I would not have a hard time closing my eyes and visualizing. Unfiltered. There's one guy in the building that the Seahawks cannot win the game on Sunday night if he doesn't have a good night. If he doesn't have a good night, they are losers. There's nothing they can do to win. If he does have a good or great night, they've got a shot. And that is offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer. They have zero chance unless they're creative and they keep the 49ers off balance with some misdirection, sleight of hand, roll them out, throw back the other way, catch them over pursuing, catch them. They've got, he has got to call a great game. Mitch is unfiltered.
episode number 72, episode Joe Nash of your Seattle Seahawks. Air Nash, they used to call him because he would block field goals. He could jump so high. <laughs> yes, he could. Air Nash. Episode Michael Bennett, number seven. Episode mm. Offsides. <laughs> That's right. Did anybody jump oh. offside? Did he had, I don't know, do they even do they even record that? Is there a stat, an official stat? Because if there is, he's got to be one of the career leaders, yeah. NFL leaders in offside, encroachment. Yeah. Encroachment, number 72. Wow. How many times did that guy jump offside? The worst, yes. And his little pads. It's fun well, to rip them off him after I don't do know that. if it's good news or bad news. It's not going to be episode Joe Nash. And it's not going to be episode Michael Bennett. And it's not going to be episode Carlton Fisk, who oh, wore 72. Sure. But he didn't wear 72 in Boston when he when he used the body <laughs> yeah, language yeah. or the body English, whatever you call it, to get the ball. He, he wore 27. People don't might, might not remember that. In Boston, he wore 27. When he went to Chicago, he flipped it and became 72. It won't be episode Carlton Fisk, and it won't be episode Ed Too Tall Jones. Oh, he was good. Ended up being in the boxer. That's Did he right. end up That's in the boxing right. ring? Yeah. It's not going to be episode Thuffer and Thuckatash Dan Deerdorf. <laughs> that could have been Refrigerator NFL, Perry impression, too. And, and, and a, <laughs> NFL, NFL Hall of Famer. And it's not going to be episode Fridge Refrigerator, yeah. despite the Super Bowl touchdown against the, page, against the Patriots in, this, in the Super Bowl. It's not going to be any of those. In fact, I'm just going to say that the naming rights of this show were decided before Mitch Unfiltered was ever even born. There was no such thing as Mitch Unfiltered when the 72 oh, show. I feel like I know gonna, what you're doing here. Okay. They, I mean, they, they, uh, anybody who has to ask who the 70, who episode 72 is going to be named after is really had way too much to drink at the Sunday night game. That's right. Okay, or wherever you were. Yeah. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I got it now, man. No, you don't. You don't have it. You always say you have it, but you have it. You probably have it. <laughs> I have this one, yes. Just think chin. <laughs> think, just think chin. The greatest chin. And Jay Leno did not have the greatest chin of wow, all time. Wow, that's saying something. No. That's a The greatest chin. chin of all time. Just think of who had the greatest chin. That's who this 72, this 72nd episode of Mitch Unfiltered will be named after. You asked me earlier what Eddie Lacy must look like these days. Think about what the fridge must look like. I mean, oh my God. that guy was, he was enormous when he was exercising every day. Yeah, but I don't think, here's the difference between Eddie Lacy and, and the fridge. The fridge never, the fridge never cared about his weight. He never even tried to be svelte. Yeah. He wanted to be as big as he could. He wanted to be as big as a house when he played. Eddie Lacy was like, at one point, traveling around looking for a free agent contract, and he still could. I mean, he was walking into interviews like 20 pounds overweight, like, yeah. and there were millions of dollars on the line. And the most important interviews of his life where he was going to sign a contract, he was walking in 15 pounds overweight. <laughs> That's a guy who, after the football season's o uh, career's over, yeah. I, I don't know. I, look, I don't know. Maybe somebody would write me a tweet and say, you haven't seen Eddie? Here's a picture of Eddie Lacy. And he's like, 170. I don't know. How many sports shows and sports podcasts are going to start the, their show off tomorrow with, let me tell you the difference between Refrigerator Perry and Eddie Lacy. <laughs> <laughs> Only this cockamamie uh, show would say that line. And you wonder how he made it to episode 72. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's so time. I, gotta do I, it, I, well, I, guess, I promised yeah. first segment and then Brady Henderson. And then that's it. Then we got, I mean, I may ask Mike DeCourcy, Rick Neuheisel, our other guests about the fight. Mean, they were all watch. Everybody watched right. it. So they might have some, some thoughts about it. But if you are somebody who doesn't like the pain and suffering to be rehashed, then you can just skip right now the first and second segments. But this is going to be, if you, if you want to know our opinion, I can just tell you, it's, I can fast forward to my opinion really, really quickly. Uh, I have a few. First of all, 
every and you are the voice of reason. You said to me at Daniel's Prime when I looked at you at the at every every time I get to a half where they've just absolutely been a turd in the fishbowl in the first half. <laughs> punch bowl, but punch yes. bowl. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I always say fishbowl. A turd in the punch bowl but in yes. the first half. I always say to myself, okay, this is the one where they're just going to get blown out. Yeah. And somebody inevitably says to me, no, they're not. Because that's not the way this team operates. They're always in the game. Now, I would say to you, the Cardinals, they weren't. The Cardinals, yeah. game, they yeah. weren't. Look as far back as last week. But I was convinced. I was convinced as sure as you're sitting there in an Oklahoma Sooner, <laughs> Brian Bosworth jersey. <laughs> yes, I am. I was convinced that this was a team that was not only dead on Sunday night. This is at halftime. The season was over. The season was over. They were going to get, they were not going to make a game of it in the second half. They were bad offensively. Their offensive line could not block anybody. Their defense could not stop anybody. It was not only over for Sunday in my mind. I don't want to hear about NFC East, NFC Least, the terrible teams of the NFC East. They've already gone to Philadelphia. This is at halftime. Yeah. I don't want to hear about how they've already gone to Philadelphia and won. There's just one game. No, I was convinced what happened to the Seahawks in the Cardinals game and with all those injuries leading up to the Cardinals and the rolling of the dice of keeping guys out or whatever, it was a pin in a balloon. The Cardinals game, at, uh. at halftime of the Sunday night game, I was thinking, you know what? You know what happened? The Seahawks were this balloon that was expanding and expanding and winning close games and barely winning and really not looking good in a lot of the wins and expanding and expanding. And ultimately, they were a little bit fraudulent. Their record was a little bit fraudulent. They weren't as good as their record. They're certainly their point differential proof yeah. and their statistics defensively mostly proved that they were never as good as their record. And it was an inflating, inflating balloon. And then in the Cardinals game against a lowly Cardinals game, boop, a pin hit it, and that was it. I, that's what I was sitting at Daniels thinking at 13-0 at halftime. I gave them zero ch- chance of making a game of it. And then three straight scoring drives, almost four, an inch away from four straight scoring drives, and they're right on the precipice of winning the whole thing. Unbelievable. I'm the one that said at some point during this game, you're going to say the Seahawks are going to have a chance to you win were it. so right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, how many times have we what, seen this? What did I ask you? I asked you what percentage... <laughs> At halftime, yeah. do you give the chance of Seahawks winning this game? And what what did I recommend was the percentage? What did I say to you was the percentage? I think you said four, five, five four, or five. And yeah. you said no, 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 nineteen. <laughs> and I said, I'm still wondering how you got to nineteen. I don't, I don't get to anything. But you're like, oh, nineteen, no, 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 nineteen. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna have a chance. They're gonna. I I couldn't see it. I couldn't see them having a chance in that game. That first half looked like my prediction that I've been making for two weeks that they're just gonna get their butts kicked that's uh, first half first looked of all, like it how was it only 13 nothing at halftime well that's, they had lost yeah. that game 27 nothing that should have been t- I, I, just looking at the statistics and feeling the game and offensive and defense it should have been they should have been five touchdowns but they felt it felt like they were five touchdowns behind and that, that that's part of the thing i think that sort of helped me with the confidence i'm looking i'm like wait a minute the seahawks only had one touchdown scored on them right and they couldn't have played any worse right they're not going to keep playing right. like this i didn't think so then it comes down to and i know there's a lot and you've been taking notes and i've taken a few notes and in between interviewing everybody for 72 let's fast forward to the discussion of the final drive if you don't mind unless you unless you have something really pressing that you want nah. to let's, let's let's go right to what everybody is writing and talking about in the wake of the disaster or whatever you want to call it on Sunday night and that is the last drive in the last few plays and I, I think people are are pretty 
anybody who's listened to this podcast over the, the couple of a uh, year and a half that we've done it, anybody who listened to me on the radio, I used to do a radio show mm. in Seattle, probably knows where I'm going to go. Okay. I have been complaining. Let, let's talk about two incidents that happened on Sunday night, the two big incidents. Uh, number one, and we'll work our way backwards. I have been complaining for how long? How many times have I complained to you that the Seahawks don't get the plays in in time, they don't get to the line of scrimmage in time, and then Russell Wilson stands there uh, or doing an orchestra, you know, conducting an orchestra, and how many times it hits 0-0 and you wonder, okay, are they going to pick up a delay of the game there? Or do they get it off in time? And what about the defense, as you point out? They know once it gets to 0-0, there's no – the next snap – That's they're, right. They're, you can tee off. You can tee off on yeah. them. How many times are we going to complain that they don't offensively have their crap together enough to snap the freaking ball? Now, maybe this isn't exactly the same thing, but I, I, I can't imagine a worse delay of game penalty. I, I just – and I, I and I was really kind of trying to. I even talked to Newhausel. You hear me talk to Newhausel about it in this show. I was actually thinking a lot about it on the way home from Daniels on Sunday night. I was just thinking how how could they how could that happen? And the first part of me says, well, why would you even ask how it could happen? You've been complaining about it for yeah. for, for months that they don't get to the line and they don't get the play called and they're not you know Holmgren used to have this pace thing where he wanted them in the huddle out of the huddle running they used to jog to this line of scrimmage and they'd snap the ball they were snapping the ball at 10 11 12 on the play routinely that was his thing it was tempo it's the way they did things Matt Hasselbeck and they just drive you crazy and then they pick up this delay of game they're at the one freaking yard line first down first down after a fourth down completion they're at the one yard line They've got 20. Now, whether they should have spiked it and stopped the clock or should have just run a play, either way, they decide to spike it. Okay, I'm all right with the spike. And, they, and they've got the 49ers in a position now at 22 seconds from the one where they've got to defend both. The Marshawn Lynch is going to jog onto the field, yep. and they've got to decide. They, they have no idea. The Niners have no idea. Is Marshawn coming? Is play action coming? Oh. Is roll? I mean, the whole play. And they freaking pick up a delay of game at the worst possible time. What an absolute catastrophe. Uh, and, I, I, and and you're going to ask me or somebody's going to ask me, well, whose fault is it? I, I don't know. I have to I, I don't know that I'll ever know whose fault it was. Is it the coaching staff because they didn't get it into Russell Wilson? Did Wilson not get into the huddle? Did Wilson not get them to the line? What happened? I don't know exactly what happened. All I know is that is that's like a season defining meltdown. There, there is a chance that they're not going to play in a Super Bowl because of that delay of game. Yeah. What was George Fant doing, by the way, sprinting up to the line last minute and late? I don't know. What, what was happening? I don't know. I was confused. I was, and I, I was. Maybe they were doing what I was doing, celebrating the fourth down conversion and the stopping of the clock. Maybe they were so. I, I, you're going to hear me say to Neuheisel when I was driving home from from Daniels. I mentioned that I was thinking about the psychology of it. I almost wonder when they come up and they clock it. Okay, they pick up the first down at the one. There's 22 seconds and they stop the clock. Whether everybody from a psychology standpoint goes, that's right. And almost treats it like a timeout. That's right. I I think you're right. Yeah. And then they realize about 15 seconds later, we're not in a timeout right now. We got to get to the line and call the next play. I wonder if that happened. Is that possible? I think it's very possible. Everyone just sort of okay. Whoo, take a breath. Yeah, we just We're got good. A, we just got a timeout. Actually, we only have thirty seconds. We got to get going here. Right. Yeah. Right. There's I, no timeout. I think out there's there. something to that. Yeah. I, I don't know. To me, that falls on Pete Carroll. 
it just falls on his shoulders whether well it's he's got to accept that yeah, yeah yeah and i don't know whether it's his offensive coordinator clearly he's not really even involved in that process very much i mean he's he's i mean that's schottenheimer to russell wilson and, yeah. and everything else i don't even know that carol well maybe carol did jump into the headset and say we're running it here. He, you know, I, I don't know whether whether yeah. he was involved and whether there were too many too many hands in the cookie jar, too many voices on trying to figure out what play to use. But that was, I, I think I will go to my grave. I really, and I know that you're going to say, or some people are going to say, Mitch, you're just re- overreacting to this because it just happened or recency, whatever that is, recency bias. I, I, I can't ever remember a delay of the game that was so demoralizing as that delay. And I can't ever remember a delay of game that could have that much con- – you don't – they would be the three seed. Yeah, we'd like them the one or two. They'd be playing at home next week. Now, a lot of people say they're better off playing on the road. Yeah, I, I yeah, get yeah. all that. But they could potentially host the NFC Championship I, I game. I think that that delay of game might have been yeah. the season – might have been the, the season-defining uh, – imagine a delay of game yeah. being the defining moment <laughs> of a season after all that we've been through together, Hotshot. You and me. That's right. You and me and this team for – for a delay of game to define the season, I can't believe it. It's it's hard for me to pick one play. I know that's the most obvious one, but there were so many head-scratching plays during that game besides that one. Yeah, well, I was going to talk about the play. I was going to talk about the second, I guess they call it the penultimate play of the game after that, which was the play that, that, that I, you know, and I have a hard time. I really want to give it to the NFL. I really want to punch the NFL in the face. The NFL goes out after that Rams-Saints game in the playoffs last year and goes overboard in trying to trying to make sure that a blatant pass interference in a big game down the stretch of a season never happens again, that That's they right. don't blow a season ever again. And after all that they do, I wanted to punch, I want to punch the NFL in the face, but here's my problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep coming back to the delay of game, and I'm saying to myself, who am I to punch the NFL? Who are the Seahawks to punch the NFL in the nose when they did what they did on that delay of game penalty? I yeah. mean, that's the most atrocious, most atrocious, poor management. I mean, who? how can they blame anybody else for a game when they did that? So that's part of that's That's tempering my remarks. But I got to tell you, that second to last play. I mean, I've seen it a couple times. I'm sure I'll watch it a few more times after we finish this podcast. The few times that I saw it, it was blatant pass interference. Oh, I yeah. mean, there, there, there is just, on a scale from 1 to 10, it was a 10. And the fact that after the NFL changed all of these rules to allow the booth in the final two minutes of a big game to at least stop the to stop everything and say, whoa, Make sure stop. we got it right here, yeah. The fact that they didn't even look at that play? Yeah. I, as I sit here in front of you, it's just it's in, it's impossible. It's impossible that that New York didn't see enough even if they weren't I know it's impossible to it's very difficult to overturn these plays. They never seem to overturn them. This was so blatant. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't have overturned. I I think they would have. I think they would have called pass interference and put the ball back on the one-yard line and given them, what, 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 seconds to go. They would be back at the one after they had the five-yard penalty. But to me, the transgression here that just is inexcusable is that they never even, after all they've done, they didn't even look at it. Right. They They didn't even radio down to the official to say, hey, Buddy boy, stop the clock, 
stop everything. Yeah. We, we want to see we, this. We, we want to look at this yeah. to see if there's blatant pass interference here. That, that, I, I, as I sit here now, I can't believe still that that play didn't warrant at least a look-see from New York. Yeah. Unbelievable to me. I don't get it. But again, that's to me, that that's like one of five plays. If, if they kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one with Marshawn, then the Seahawks only need a field goal to win. Well, that was when? That was 13 nothing. 13 nothing. Instead of going to 13-3, they tried. Well. So, uh, but again, that, that those final types, drive, they don't need a touchdown. Okay, but yeah, but it, it, so there, to me, there's a million plays besides just all right, look the me delay in the, Okay, but look me in the eye and tell me, if you're going to complain about that play, then you got to look me in the eye and tell me that at that time you wanted them to kick the field goal. You did not want it. No one wanted it. With everything going as bad as it was going and them down two touchdowns that felt like 40 and they're down there and they've got Marshawn Lynch. They just signed Marshawn Lynch. I can't believe if I would have come over to you and said to you, what do you want? You want to take the three right now that you would have taken that you would have gone for. Points felt like a premium, though. Ah. You couldn't get any. You couldn't get anything. You got three free points. I'd be completely. I can't speak for you. If I were here complaining about the fact that they didn't take three, it would be completely disingenuous because I remember how I felt at the time, which was you got to go for it. Really? In the oh, first half? You got, you got, yeah, at 13 nothing to come away yeah. with three there, you got to go for it. The fact that they can't, why can't they have, why don't they have a quarterback sneak? Does, why is it that Jimmy Garofalo or whatever his name is, Garoppolo or Garofalo, he, he can he can quarterback – Tom Brady can quarterback sneak. The but oldest, Russell Wilson slowest, can't, can't quarterback Right, sneak. the oldest, slowest quarterback on the planet is like the best Garoppolo. at it. I have no idea but why Russell can't sneak it. So they handed it to, to uh, Marshawn and he had no chance. No chance. The, the left side of that offensive line didn't do the job. I mean, the offensive line was horrendous all game until – and I don't even – I still don't know how they scored on three straight possessions. I, I, they scored on three straight possessions yeah, and almost and almost four. four yeah, unbelievable. And Russell was sacked and once. not scored. They scored touchdowns on three straight <laughs> right. possessions That's after right. not being able to get out of their own way in the first half. So here we are. We we got an Eagles game at one one something in the. I think it's the last game of your favorite wild card weekend. Oh. Sunday afternoon, East Coast time four forty, West Coast time one forty. Seahawks and Eagles. And I know I, I I talked about this in the in the open. I think that. I think that I was of the opinion going into this game that had they lost this game, which I expected them to do, and lo- and looked pretty lethargic or just looked bad doing it because of all the injuries, that they were just going to turn around and go out and everybody was going to say, oh, they're going to beat the Eagles because they already beat them once and the NFC East is so bad, and go out and lose the game, and go out and lose that game, and that'd be the end of the season. They were going to go out, Cardinals loss, Niners loss, and then lose to kind of a rejuvenated Eagles yeah, team that's in a row. home yeah. that says, hey, we're, we're in it. Who cares what we were during the regular season? We're in it. We have a chance to win the Super Bowl right yeah. now. Uh, and I don't know that I'm still there because I like the momentum of the Seahawks' fourth quarter. I think the fourth quarter changed me a little bit. I need some time to digest and try to figure out. Maybe it's 72P. I'll be ready. But uh, I don't know that I'm I'm necessarily feeling as as bad about the chances for the Seahawks in Philadelphia as I was. What did what do you think about Marshawn? How did he look to you? People were going crazy at the Daniels party every time he got a four, it. Four I've never seen more people get excited. I'm sure it was at the game too. Yeah. Over like a four yard carry. Oh, they were going. They were high five. Yeah, that's right. He's back. He's back. But he did have a 15 yarder that was kind of fun. He looked okay. And he scored. 
He scored the yeah, touchdown over the and top. He, and he would have scored the game-winning touchdown, and we would have just been going crazy. That that would have been like the 30 for 30 on Marshawn Lynch's <laughs> life if he scores that touchdown. The good news is the Seahawks live to fight, oh, you know, to fight another day, God. and maybe Marshawn will get his chance. Maybe they beat How the Eagles and then they go to Santa Clara and How win. How did Who he knows? look? How did he look to you? He looked okay. He, he actually looked better to me than I, I thought he would look. Yeah? I wasn't expecting very much. He looked pretty quick at times. He didn't look quick to the line on that fourth down. Now he really no. didn't have a chance anyway. But no, he a looked lot a of his slow. a lot of his carries, he didn't have a chance. Yeah, and that's why I would probably say that incomplete. I, my grade would be incomplete because I think for for so much time during that game, the offensive line was so inept yep. at both run blocking and pass blocking that I don't know that I could have even offered you an opinion on how he looked because he didn't get a chance in most of his carries because they were they were getting beat off the ball so badly on the offensive line. They were. So I, I'll say incomplete. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in Philadelphia. I told you there's always like five or six plays that stand out, yeah. not just yeah. one. When Hollister runs his route at the end of the game. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, yeah. Maybe six inches deeper? Maybe a foot deeper? Well, I mean, you played the game. I think there's a lot of occasions where you say to yourself, in that situation where they have to score, the defense is going to give up, the is going to be more apt to give up the completion in front of them if they're on the goal line than they are. I, I don't. I, in other words, I'm not sure I believe that it's as simple as run it another foot more and you make the catch and it's a touchdown. It, yeah. it feels that way. It does and feel maybe, that way. And maybe yeah. you're right. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think there, there, there was an occasion years ago where offenses in that situation would only throw the ball in the end zone, only throwing the ball in the end zone. And then somebody said to themselves, I don't know who it was, it could have been anybody, yeah. said, hey, wait a second. There's no rule that we can, if they're going to give, if they're going to take the end zone away from us in a, in a must have, there's no rule that says I can't throw it short and let the guy run in. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Maybe the route was run appropriately. Maybe not. I mean, he, he took a vicious hit. If he you did. go back and look at the hit, you yep. almost wonder that if he had taken that, that hit was like a hit. That hit was like a 10 on a scale from one to 10. I almost wonder if it was an eight, whether he would have had the momentum or the wherewithal to be able to somehow get that ball yep. across the, the threshold. That hit, you go back to that hit. That hit was a hell of a hit by the Niners guy. Do you think they got it right that that was not a touchdown? Yes, I do. Collinsworth was sort of trying to talk everybody into it a little bit. Well, he contorted and turned. No. And it didn't look like a touchdown no. to me either. That, no, I think it would I have been highway robbery. I wanted to believe. <laughs> yeah, so did I. But the play before was pass interference. Yep. The guy totally did not allow the receiver to make a play on the ball. And didn't have his head around. Ma- didn't have yeah. his head around. Yeah. Major contact. Didn't let him play. Wall and and you might say somebody might say, well, you can't they can't look at it again if it's going to be holding or or illegal contact. But that was happening while the ball was in the air. The ball was thrown. And once that contact is happening while the ball's in the air on route to the receiver, it's no longer holding. It is pass interference. Yep. And I will go to my frickin' grave not understanding how, at the very least, look at it. Just take a look at it. Yeah. They weren't willing to take a look at that? Especially considering what you said about them overcompensating about... It just happened last year. <laughs> right. This is the first Less year of the rule. The rule, is, the, re- <laughs> the rule was instituted for that play. That's that right. was the play that it's instituted for. It's, it's exactly unbelievable. right. Yep. It's unbelievable. Yeah. How did Russell look to you? Did you feel like he overthrew some guys in the, a couple times that maybe were used to him making? My view on Russell Wilson, and I could be all wet on this, is that 
I think very often when he plays against great defenses, would you call the 49ers defense a great defense? I think they're probably the best in the NFC at least. Yeah. Well, they've given up some big some big totals to some teams like the Rams and the Niners and the Saints and the loss to the Falcons. But anyway. They're a good defense. Uh, let me try this on for size. I think that when he plays against great defenses, very often he doesn't get into his playground ability. He's gr- I mean, is there any doubt? Is there any anybody who disagrees with this? When he's all when it's all said and done, when he goes to the Hall of Fame, he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And we start talking about Russell Wilson's life as a quarterback. Is there anybody that's going to disagree with the notion that Russell Wilson was always at his best when he was improvising? That's right. When he was extending yep. plays, when he was yep. moving around, when he was looking like he was going to run with it, and then he doesn't, and then he gets right to the line and he throws it, or when he looks like he's going to take off and then doesn't, or does take off. When, he, when he's playing sandlot football, there's nobody right that would disagree no with the fact that he's at his best. Well, what I would say to you about Russell is I don't think he gets into that mode fast enough in games like Sunday night. Like a whole half fast enough? Like, I, I think it takes desperate times mm. for desperate men. It almost feels like he gets into that into that routine when they're desperately, woefully behind and nothing's going right. As opposed to when you're playing against a ferocious defense without your starting left tackle, maybe going into the game with a little bit more of that mind frame of, let me run around a little bit. Let me move around early in the game. First yeah. of all, let me, let me improvise. Let me scramble around. Let me extend plays. Let's move the And, and that, a little of that is on Schottenheimer too. So d- does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah. almost felt like in the first part of that game, they were not getting out of their own way. He was getting all kinds of pressure, and he was just – just a regular quarterback, and then they got way behind, and the reason they were able to score the three touchdowns that they were able to score on the drives, on those drives, he was running around, Fran Tarkington, Russell Wilson making plays. I'd like to see him maybe get into that mode faster. Does that make sense? It does, but I know fans always do that. Why don't we just run that offense we saw in the second half in the first half? But I don't think it's that simple, right? Well, I'm not talking as much running the offense. Or him playing like that. Why doesn't he do that in the first half? People say it all the time. They say it all the time. It works so great in the second half when when you were desperate. Why not come out of the gate like that? I don't know the answer. I don't know. He, he seems to look a lot like a regular, standard, traditional quarterback at the beginnings of these games, which he can also function very well on against most teams. But when you've got a makeshift offensive line with a left tackle that's out, an all-pro left tackle or a pro bowl left tackle that's out, yeah. and you're playing an unbelievable defensive front seven with a defensive end that's going to be on you all the time and great linebackers, I don't know that you can play the quarterback position in the traditional sense – and be successful. They were successful in the second half because he was running around. Yep. He was doing what you do at recess. That's yeah. right. Did you have recess when you were a kid? Oh, sure. But we loved recess. Second, <laughs> I was, that's probably my second best subject after uh. lunch. I was good. I was good at recess. Come on, you weren't as good at recess as you were at lunch. Uh, well, that's why I said, that's my second one. Lunch, I dominated. All right. Is there anything else that we need to, to, to cover? Yeah, if, if there is, we can come back to it in the, in the other stuff segment. I've got three interviews and we can do that. Taking the ball to start the game, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Well, they don't take the ball to start the game. Well, did, did the Seahawks get the ball to start the game? Yeah, it's because the 49ers won the toss and elected to defer. Oh, that's why the they Seahawks didn't. never take the ball. Okay. Yeah. Good. I, 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 do you know, you don't know that, I, that Holmgren and I went 
battled about that when he was the coach he and I battled about this for and I ended up convincing him what was his take he always took the ball his whole life in Green Bay because he's an offensive guy yeah he's a quarterback guy he's a Brett Favre guy he's a Matt Hasselbeck guy he always took the ball when he won the toss always in Green Bay hmm. then came to Seattle always in Seattle and then I would badger him and I'm not going to take credit for it. I mean, I, I don't know whether it was because of me, but I would badger him. Every time he'd come on our show, which was a lot, I would say, you got to defer. Defer. And you know one of the big reasons why. Tell everybody well, one of the big reasons yeah. why that a lot of people don't think about. I've what? been to a million games, and right. I know what it's like at halftime. It takes you forever to get back to your seat. The place and, is empty on the right. first possession <laughs> yeah. of the third quarter, yep. and you don't want to be on defense. Right. You don't want to be on defense in the first possession of the third quarter. The place is crazy in Seattle after the 12th man ceremony and when yep. they're kicking. The, the place is the, the biggest buzz. That's right. The, broad, the biggest buzz, the, the biggest tangible juice that you have for your defense is in the first possession of the game. So why win the toss? Take the ball and then tell your crowd settle down. Right. When they're they're whipped up, they've been they've been drinking. They've got the twelfth oh. man there. They're frothing like bulldogs. <laughs> right. Saliva is coming out of them. <laughs> and, and I used to say this to, to and, and at the end of his career. Now maybe it wasn't because of me. At the end of his career, Holmgren started to defer a little bit. Hmm. He started to defer a little bit, but. By the way, Pete Carroll, he defers all the time. Always defers. So I can tell yeah. you for sure, without having even knowing, as I don't know, I know that they didn't. I know they got the ball first, which I tells me the 49ers won the toss and said we defer. So then you have no choice. Yeah, yeah. All right, bring on the Eagles, I guess. Bring on the Eagles. You've already announced to everyone that the Seahawks, if they lose to the Niners, are going to lose. To I the just, e but I just walked well, back right, from that, right. and I walked back from Did that. You fully walk back from it. Well, maybe. <laughs> hey, walking sideways from it. Three interviews and then the other stuff segment and any any stuff from the Seahawks game that we forgot. Hotshot, before we continue episode 72, you know, 2019 was a wonderful year for me and my family. The growth and momentum of Mitch Unfiltered has been both touching and has made me proud to have partners like all of the employees at the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza means the world to me. I started the year way back in February at the then new Capitol Hill location watching the Super Bowl. I finished the year at the Kirkland Zeeks watching that heartbreaking Hawks-Cardinals game. And in between, there were Pac-12 tournaments in Bothell, NCAA tournament games at the new Tacoma Zeeks, Seahawks contest at Zeeks Linwood, the Pac-12 football championship at the newest Woodenville spot, which is spectacular, by the way. And of course, the Levy family March Madness pool at Zeeks Pizza in Bellevue. I guess what I'm saying is Zeke's Pizza is much more than a sponsor. It's a partner. It's a place that I choose. My family chooses when we want to watch a sporting event all while enjoying awesome Northwest pizza with a selection of craft beer that makes other restaurants envious. A happy and healthy new year for my friends at Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Second and goal. Come up in a tight formation. Moster takes it in for the touchdown. First and goal. Lynch. Touchdown. Oh, I've heard that sound before. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch. Sanders was in motion. Mostert into the end zone. Touchdown. Into the end zone. And the play clock 
Wolf is down to three, and here we go, and Wilson throws, caught, and it is going to be Hollister. After review, completed pass receiver was down short of the goal line. San Francisco will take over down. First down. We had the opportunities. It was there in front of us. It was like a perfect win. Was, to me, it was a perfect way to win the championship, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, it just came up short by a couple inches. Uh, but uh, we, we already have to go and get rolling. Uh, looking ahead, we play Sunday in, in Philly, and we got to go get that that in order and get get working in that direction. But um, I, how could you not be proud of the way these guys play? How could you not? It was fantastic to put us in position to win that football game after all that. And but it was no surprise either. You know, it was just this was the way we were going to win a, a division championship, and uh, a couple things happened and didn't didn't quite work out. Oh, boy, man, oh, man, Fireside Home Solutions and I both wish we had a different ending to to another classic Seahawks-Niners game to discuss with Brady Henderson. He's the ESPN Seahawks insider. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, whether it's fireplaces, garage doors, barbecue setups, firesidehomesolutions.com is the first place you check. Brady Henderson, who's with us week to week, have you gotten your arms around the last few moments, the delay, the the P.I. that was ignored, the Hollister reception that came up and in short. What do you make of all this? I did, and, and right after that game, I did have to go back and watch that final sequence one more time just because there was uh, a lot to unpack there, as they say. And, um, you know, there, this was a pretty wild finish for the Seahawks, no doubt about it, but it was also, um, in one sense, kind of what you would expect, at least in terms of how the game went down to the wire, like it has so many times this season. They went into that game Sunday night with 10 uh, wins uh, by one score this season, which was tied for the NFL record. So you figured that this one, you know, against the, an excellent team against the 49ers uh, would again come down to the wire, and it did. Um, and I'll give credit to Omar Ruiz from the NFL Network, who had what I thought was the line of the night, saying that, um, you know, it was just a couple of inches uh, that ends up being the difference between playing at home and having to go 3,000 miles. Yeah. So a couple inches ends yeah. up meaning 3,000 miles, yeah. which is what the Seahawks would have to go to play Philadelphia in the wild card round. All right, so let's unpack some of this with us and our Mitch Unfiltered listeners. Let's start with injuries, Brady. What do we need to know as we begin the week towards the Eagles game, both from guys who got banged up in the Sunday nighter and guys who didn't play in the Sunday nighter. What do we need to watch out for over the week? Yeah, so it sounds like it's going to be iffy as to whether or not Jerron Brown and Michael Kendricks are going to be able to play. They both left uh, that game Sunday night. Pete Carroll called it uh, knee sprains for both of those guys. Didn't really know uh, what that was going to mean for, for this week at, at Philadelphia. And, and really, you know, John Ursua was out there for that final fourth down play because Jerron Brown left that game uh, in the first half. And so uh, those two guys are question marks. He, he did say – uh, I believe that his quote on Quandre Diggs was that he's going to have a really good chance uh, to play against Philadelphia. Remember, he's missed the last two games with that high ankle sprain. Um, so coming back any quicker than two weeks uh, or even in two weeks, that would have been a pretty quick return. But um, sounds like he's going to have a really good shot. Uh, and Carroll said that he expects Luke Wilson to play in that game. And, and Wilson uh, was added to the injury report late. Sounds like he uh, hurt his hip in Friday's practice. Um, so he was uh, kind of a late scratch from this game. But um, – that that's kind of the relevant injury updates okay. from Pete Carroll, and uh, it, you know, as as you saw last week, and as you saw again Sunday night, um, getting Quandre Diggs back would be a very big boost yeah. for that defense. Yeah. Well, we'll hope. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll hope. First half inept play, Brady, on both sides of the ball. 
They were down 13 to nothing, and it felt like 27 to nothing. They couldn't get anything going offensively, and they couldn't stop the 49ers. And then something happens, at least offensively in the second half. I'm not sure the defense played any good in the second half. They gave up uh, score after score in answering the Seahawks scores, although they did stop them on the one time that they had to at the end. How, how do you explain or don't you how bad the Seahawks were, not only in the Cardinals game, but the first half of the 49ers game? I, I wish I had a better explanation other than the one I'm going to give you, which is that they are, they are just a second-half team. And I, I don't know whether that's a matter of urgency. You know, players do talk about that where, you know, it seems like they have a, a pretty hard time putting their finger on why that is too, why they always seem to come out of the gates pretty slow. Um, you know, there's been a few times this season where they've actually started fast, but for the most part, over really the Pete Carroll era, it seems like um, this has been a slow starting offense. And then when the game gets tight, uh, maybe they pick up the pace a little bit. Maybe Russell Wilson has some time to feel out the defense. For whatever reason, that offense seems to get going in the second half. And that's, again, what you saw Sunday night. And yeah. um, in terms of what happened defensively in the first half, I think you maybe just chalked that up to the fact that, you know, they've got a, the 49ers had a very good play caller, a brilliant play caller, Kyle Shanahan. And, um, he was scheming guys open. You saw Devo Samuel um, seemed like the entire first half. He was getting open, um, you know, in between defenders there. You saw the same thing with George Kittle, um, which, again, that was a big difference from the first meeting against 49ers in Week 10 to this one. Um, the fact that they had George Kittle in that game Sunday night. And also, you know, in that first meeting against 49ers, you saw their receivers drop a ton of passes and really were not making plays for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so both of those things were – pretty big differences Sunday night. Do you think that the defense can be counted on in Philadelphia next week? In Philadelphia, yes. Uh, at Lambeau Field or in the whatever the, the Saints call their home yeah, stadium. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, you saw them, you know, w- w- when they played in, at Philadelphia in week 12, that was when their defense was at its best this season. There was a three or four game stretch in there where takeaways left and right. Um, they really were actually getting some pressure on Carson Wentz, even though they didn't have Judemian Clowney in that game. And, you know, I think if you take a bigger picture view uh, of this Seahawks defense, I think, you know, I wonder if they are just uh, maybe an average defense that is really reliant on takeaways. Um, you saw that they did not get a takeaway in that game Sunday night. And uh, the result was, um, you know, I mean, all in all, it's not like the, the, the point total was, um, it's not like they got blown out of the water. I mean, 26 points. That's right. Um, you know, that, that's not. You can win. You can win by giving up 26 points. But the fact that um, you know they did not force a takeaway, they did not get much pressure on Garoppolo after that no. first series when they dropped him a couple times. Right. Um, it's kind of been the story of their season for their for that defense. Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com. Their Seahawks insider is all part of a football package of interviews brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Every Seahawk fan imaginable can say, I told you so, because for the last month, two months, year, two years, every one of us, Brady, has been complaining about how the Seahawks routinely snapped the ball on offense at 0-0. And what have we all been saying? One of these days, there's going to be a huge delay of game penalty that's going to cost them. Well, I don't know how there could be one that's bigger than this one. This one potentially cost him the season. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to go that far. Maybe it's hyperbole, but 
But, you know, without that delay a game call, they're hosting a playoff game perhaps next week, and then everything changes. They're the three seed. They potentially host the 49ers in an NFC championship game. Everything changes on that delay call. Uh, any proper explanation or we just messed up? And maybe might this be a catapult, a, a uh, you know, a springboard to some change in getting the play called and getting to the line of scrimmage and getting the ball snapped before the clock strikes 0-0. Zero, zero. It could be. I mean, you would think that if, if there's ever going to be anything that that forces that change, that this could be it. You know, a, a blunder like this, as costly as it was in that game, um, and with everything that was on the line. And, you know, the, the explanation, it, I mean, it actually made sense. Certainly it did not excuse what happened, but it did make sense, which was that on that fourth down play to John Ursua, they were in an empty backfield. And then, of course, they rushed to the line of scrimmage to spike the ball. So it's not like they changed personnel uh, during the, the, the spike as they were rushing to, to spike that ball. And then afterwards, after the spike, uh, there was some confusion as to which running back was going to come in because they weren't empty before that play. And if you go back and watch the replays, it looks like Marshawn Lynch was not you know, coming onto the field until about 15 seconds of that 40-second play clock had already expired. So you're already talking about, you know, by the time he gets in the huddle, uh, there's almost half the play clock that has expired. And, you know, Pete Carroll, he did what he had to do. He, he took the blame for it. And ultimately, you know, he's the head coach, and, and the buck does stop with him, whether it was directly his fault or indirectly his fault. It's on him. Um, he did make an interesting point when he said that, you know, sometimes when, when you kill the clock like that, when you spike it, players um, have a tendency to maybe treat that as though it's a timeout. And, of course, ah. you have more time. Ah. It's not like the 40-second play clock is running there. And it sounded like that may have happened. And, and you, it does look like that when you look at the replay. They're not even huddling no. um, until, you know, there's about 20 seconds that have gone off the play clock already. And they're they're not even in, like, a solid huddle there. So, it seems like that might have been the case. You know, it's funny because I, I mentioned that earlier on when we were recording with, with Scott and Rick Neuheisel. It seemed to me the same way, that maybe they thought subconsciously they had just called a timeout. It's just a killer, killer penalty. And and to your point about Marshawn, we all love Marshawn, but he doesn't hurry into the game when he comes in off the <laughs> off the sidelines, does he? He's not he's not sprint, he's not the type to sprint to the huddle and get to the line of scrimmage, is he, Brady? <laughs> No, but but I wonder if if he even knew he was supposed to right, be right. in the game there, or if he was right. even told. And also, you know, after that spike, you see DK Metcalf. It looked like he was celebrating with uh, with John Ursua after that big catch that Ursua made. And so, um, I think Carroll's point does have validity there. It, it yeah. seemed like players didn't really realize that they still had to get up. Uh, and huddle it and get going to, to run that next play. It wasn't like a timeout, but it seems like they, they might have kind of treated it like one. Anybody know what they would have run? I know I always ask this question. What would they have run had they snapped it from the one? Somebody tried to ask Pete Carroll that, and he gave a, you know, you'll never know answer, and I don't think we will ever know. What do you think? Um, you know, I mean, my first gut is to say that they hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch, but, you know, it, it's, it's never really that simple. You saw that fourth down, fourth and inches play earlier in the game. He got stopped, and, and it wasn't like – that you know, it wasn't like he barely got stopped. Like that play did not really have a chance, and so it's it's maybe not as simple as saying, "Oh, you hand the ball up to Marshawn." And you know, this is the same conversation from you know, the Super Bowl, yeah. uh, you know, a few years ago. It's not always as simple as saying, you know, you hand the ball off to, to Marshawn Lynch. Granted, you know, remember this is a guy who was playing his first game in 14 months, and again, got stuffed pretty badly on a fourth and one play earlier in that game. How do you explain? I saw your tweet uh, from Sunday night about the director of officiating. 
Uh, I want to be outraged over the lack of even stopping the game to take a good, strong look at that penultimate play where I think I, I think it's clear as the nose on my face, Brady, which is pretty darn clear uh, that uh, that Hollister, Jacob Hollister, was interfered with on that play. They didn't even stop it and go upstairs. I know, I know via your tweet, the director of officiating from the NFL said something like, well, we got a good look at it anyway. We didn't have to stop the game to look at it. Yeah, that, that didn't quite add up to me because in order to get a good look at that, you would have to see it, I would think, um, a few times and you'd want to see it in slow motion and, and that takes more time than however much time you know uh, there was in between those plays there and so it, it kind of seemed to me like that may have been Al Rivera on covering you know the league's butt there um, on a play that it seemed like they should have reviewed and you know the explanation as he went further into it was that you know he they determined that Jacob Hollister initiated contact and that that contact was not enough to, to warrant offensive pass interference uh, and then that the contact that resulted from Fred Warner was not enough to warrant defensive pass interference. If you look at the replay, you, you could, I, I suppose, make an argument that Jacob Hollister did initiate that contact, but there was enough contact there. You saw Fred Warner's arms draped all over Hollister as that ball sailed by Hollister. Yeah. I would think that that would at least warrant well, uh, you know, taking them taking a longer look at that than apparently however long they did look at it. Well, I'll just say this, that the fact, if, if it's true that Jacob Hollister initiated the contact, to me it's moot. That's an irrelevant aspect. I mean, how many times does a, have we seen a ball thrown down a sideline where the receiver is out in front and then tries to adjust to the ball, comes back to the ball, initiates the contact with a defender who is turned with his head the back of his head towards the football, but the offensive player initiates the contact because he tries to come back for the ball, right? Is that offensive or is that defensive pass interference? It's always defensive pass interference if he tries to adjust to the ball and the defender right. doesn't allow him to do that. Whether he initiates the contact or not, it's 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 defensive. Pat, you have to let the receiver. And I think when you look back, go back and look at it again and again and again. The more I look at it, the more I see a defender that doesn't allow Jacob Hollister to make a play on the ball. He just doesn't allow him to do that. Yeah, and and he didn't. Hollister didn't even really have a chance to get his arms up to to try to catch that pass. That's right. And, right. Um, you know, I mean, look, you can point to so many times, so so many you know things the Seahawks didn't do wrong, um, which is always the case, but. You know, this, this seems like one of those plays where people are going to be watching that replay over and over again, uh, hoping that they see an official throw a flag there, and, yeah. and it's going to be one of those deals that um, is probably going to stick with Seahawks, with the Seahawks and their fans for quite a while. All right, real quickly, Brady, will they will they win the Eagles game? Can they win three in a row on the road? Can they? They can win the Eagles game. Yes, I I mean I don't think the Eagles are um, a particularly good team. You saw them earlier in the season in Week 12. Uh, really handled them pretty pretty well in that game, and it ended up being a one-score game. Eagles got a garbage-time touchdown, but um, that was a game. The Seahawks, the Seahawks was one of their better games. Seahawks of the were healthier, right? The Seahawks were healthier they were. when they played them the last time, right? Although they did not have Jadavion Clowney in that game, and that was so, still somehow one of their better pass-rushing games. Okay. So I think they can win in Philadelphia. It's hard to imagine them going three straight, you know, winning on the road three straight times, and people might hear that and say, well, they set the franchise record with seven road wins this season. Yeah, they did. But a lot of those games came down to the wire. It was not like the Seahawks were, you know, a demonstrably better team on the road this season than they were at home, other than the fact that, um, you know, a lot of those games 
home and away came down to the wire, and they just pulled out those games. So it wasn't like they were rolling over opponents on the road. Maybe the Eagles game was uh, one of the exceptions there. But um, talk about going to Lambeau Field to face Aaron Rodgers, going to the Superdome, uh, Drew Brees. I mean, I think you put Russell Wilson up there with any of those quarterbacks he's going to have to face, um, and you'd say that he's a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. But winning three straight on the road, it's a tall order, even though the Seahawks have been have won a lot of games on the road this season. Well, the second, if, if they win the first one, odds if they win the first one, odds are that the three will beat the six, and that will put the Seahawks squarely back in Santa Clara, California, right? In a couple of weeks' time. If, uh, if the three beats the six and the five, the Seahawks beat the four, it'll be five at one. Seahawks at San Francisco the third time. Uh, uh, the third time around between those two teams. I think a lot of us would like to see that one more time. Anyway, that's it. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Brady. I want to wish you and your family a happy and healthy New Year. Thank you for being a part of uh, Mitch Unfiltered the last uh, 14, 15, 16 weeks. I look forward to a couple more visits from you. Let's, uh, let's see how much longer this thing goes. Thanks so very much. Happy New Year. All right. Same to you and same to your family as well, Mitch. Thank you. Ah, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. What a heartbreaker on Sunday night. Just an inch or two away from the NFC West title, but instead it's another trip to Philadelphia in the wild card round on Sunday, a 140, I believe, Pacific time kickoff. Did you know, by the way, that Daniels Broiler is celebrating its 40th year anniversary with an appropriate yet amazing January promotion? Enjoy dinner at one of the four scintillating Daniels, and you're going to be offered a bottle of Veuve Clicquot Yellow Label Champagne for just 40 bucks with the purchase of two entrees. Veuve Clicquot Champagne, regularly $145 at Daniels, just 40 in January because Daniels Broiler is turning 40 For the last 20 of those years, the Schwartz family and Daniels Broiler has stood by my side like a best friend through thick and through thin, the very same way this world-class steakhouse has become a unique and integral part of the Northwest. So join me in honoring Daniels for its constant excellence, attention to every detail, and making every guest for 40 years feel important and welcomed. Vouve Clicquot, $40, Daniels Broiler Locations, South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and the new downtown Hyatt Regency. Happy New Year from Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Our chase now lined up on the left hip of Burrow. Feels the rush so well and throws for a touchdown. Terrace Marshall, after the quick checkup when he hit his head, back on the field into the end zone. It's 13 to 7. Throwing deep. Has him in. Another touchdown. Jefferson hangs on this time for six points. Burrow deep again on target again. Jefferson again. Touchdown again. with one man to beat. Touchdown! Dobbins in the clear. Off to the races, and they run him down. They cannot. Touchdown, Ohio State. Lawrence took a deep downfield, had a lot of room, and breaks the tackle, and is still running. Lawrence in a foot race. Will they catch him? Touchdown, Tigers! 
Second down field, scans downfield, fires to the end zone, it's intercepted, picked off by Nolan Turner. Fireside Home Solutions brings you our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel, it's episode 72. I don't know whether to come right out of the gate and tell you that one of my favorite prognosticators, I'm telling you over the years that you have been prognosticating and you've been calling college football games, nobody does it better than Rick Neuheisel, and yet... Your two picks in the national semifinals, the under in the first game and then Ohio State in the second game. There are a lot of people that are throwing their podcasts that they went to, they flew to Vegas. They're throwing their phones at you. They want to be, you thought they were mad at you when you were at Washington. They're really mad at you now. They have every right to be upset with me. Uh, I I have to uh, tell you, though, over the course of the week, uh, I actually flipped to the Clemson side after having spent some time with Davo Sweeney oh. and uh, corralling what I thought was the right vibe for the game. But but even even then, uh, Ohio State squandered what was an opportunity to blow the doors open in that game with some uh, early seat, early ga- early game uh, miscues down in the red zone. Uh, a drop ball by J.K. Dobbins, which resulted in a field goal. A drop screen pass by J.K. Dobbins, which resulted in another field goal. Uh, both were uh, opportunities for Ohio State to be up 24 to nothing. As for Joe Burrow and seven first-half touchdown <laughs> passes, I don't know what to tell you. That, that was off the charts. I, I've not seen anything like that. They uh, LSU needs to see if Death Valley can be moved to Mercedes-Benz Stadium <laughs> in Atlanta. What did he throw for, 400 yards in the first half? Is 400, that- 403 yards. Oh he God. averaged over 15 yards an attempt in the first half. Oh 21 of 27 for 403 and seven touchdowns. Maybe we should put LSU in the NFL playoffs instead of the – maybe they're in the wrong playoffs. They should be – I mean, it's a pro-style offense. He's throwing the ball all over the field. He's going to be the number one quarterback and the number one player chosen. Maybe they're on the – they're playing the wrong teams in this college football playoff. It's a fair assessment. Let me say this. Not so long ago, Drew Brees broke the NFL record for a single-game completion percentage with a 29 of 30 uh, performance. Burrow – is right now at 77-plus percent using the entire New Orleans Saints offense. Don't think Sean Payton isn't going to have some people wanting to know more about what's going on there and see if some more quality control coaches might be poached from that, uh, what has been obviously a very potent offense. Somebody said to me, Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Somebody said to me in the wake, I was at a party on Saturday night, and somebody said to me in the wake of the LSU game that Oklahoma is so bad that they're the worst team that's ever been in the college football playoffs. And this is a reason, listen to this, this is a reason why we don't need to go to eight games, eight teams, because we're going to water down. These teams that are four, five, six, seven, and eight, they can't even play on the same field with the LSUs and the Clemsons of the world. You buy that? It was Oklahoma that bad? Or or do you not buy that argument? I think, uh, and see if you can follow this thinking, I think that by having only four, what we have done is we have allowed the supreme beings, those blue bloods, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, an opportunity to poach all those pivotal players 
that make the difference in these games, which are clearly the defensive linemen. Oklahoma can attract every wide receiver known to man, but they have yet to get the defensive lineman and their best pass rusher, Ronnie Perkins, was unavailable in this game because he failed some drug test, is my guess, Mm -hmm. was the reason for his suspension. But the bottom line is we need to expand the playoffs so that all these great defensive linemen realize you don't have to go be pigeonholed in one or two programs to have a chance to play in the great games. You can get there by spreading the wealth a little bit, and I think you'll see better games and more uh, teams that are capable of playing these kind of games. Is it time for us to look at Joe? I know know that you've been on the Joe Burrow bandwagon longer than anybody. In fact, I think you drive the Joe Burrow bandwagon, so there's no question (laughs) about that. And I think the rest of us... Seatbelts not included. That's right. right. I I think the rest of us have watched him and and said to ourselves up until Saturday... I'll I'll give you my my opinion. I, I have been watching him saying to myself, oh my God, this kid is great. He's a great kid. He's a great quarterback. He should be the, the top pick in the draft. He should be the Heisman. He should be the landslide runaway Heisman Trophy winner. And then on Saturday, as I watched the semifinal, I, I actually looked myself in the mirror and thought, are we even underestimating with those types of descriptions? Is he more than all of that? Is he truly one of the great quarterbacks that we've seen in the last decade or the last 15 years? Is he bigger than just 2019? Oh, I think, I think he absolutely is. I think, um, you know, we're in an era where offensive coordinators want to be the quarterback. They want to program the quarterback. They want to tell him where to throw the ball. We all remember that vision of Lane Kiffin while he was coaching for Nick Saban in Alabama, putting his arms in the air as he is motioning Amari Cooper across it because he knew that the quarterback for Alabama, I think it was Blake Sims at the time, was going to throw the ball deep to Amari Cooper. So he was calling touchdown because he got the coverage that he wanted. And coordinators have been not – I'm not going to go as far as saying dumbing it down for quarterbacks – but they have been telling the the quarterback exactly where to go. Joe Burrow is being taught from a school that's an old school approach, meaning that we're going to give you everything you need to know about defenses. We're going to teach you how these offensive concepts fit against the different defenses. And then we're going to allow you the freedom to change from run to pass or pass to run from pattern to pattern to accommodate what you see and what you think is an opportunity for us to exploit what you're seeing. Very few quarterbacks at the collegiate level get that kind of training. Remember, his dad was a defensive coordinator at Ohio for Frank Solich before taking this year off to watch his boy. So he knows all the nuances of defenses like a poker player knows tells while sitting around the table. He sees all this stuff, and he has this great ability to go ahead and process and then change anything he wants and always get guys out. And then he's just got this potpourri of talent around him that are just having marvelous years each and every every piece. And uh, it's an unbelievable array of talent and it's an explosion of offense. So, yes, this is a transcendent talent. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, it's going to be fun to watch him on the next level. So as we segue to the championship game, and I do, I know that you watched the Sunday nighter. I want to get your offensive kind of quarterback coaching thoughts about what the Seahawks did in the final in the final few moments of the game on Sunday night. But before we get there, we'll segue to the national championship game. 
you know, Clemson was able to kind of sleepwalk its way through the first quarter and a half against Ohio State. I think they fell behind 16 zip and yet still find a way to pull that thing out of the fire. Certainly, we're all in agreement that they can't do that against LSU because they'll be down 34 nothing. And then they won't be able to get out of That'll be too big of a hole, too deep of a hole for them to get out of. They're going to have to play a complete football game against LSU, Rick. They will have to play a complete football game against LSU. Uh, LSU has been unbelievable in the what I call the black zone, which is the 10-yard line to the goal line, the red zone being the 20-yard end. Uh, they've been unbelievable. And that was where Ohio State sputtered in that first quarter, having two first and goal opportunities that just resulted in field goals. Uh, you cannot count on that from Burrow. Uh, they're going to have to find a running game. Uh, you know, Travis Etienne in the other night only had 37 yards rushing. I know he was a pivotal player as a receiver, having, I think, 99 yards and two touchdown catches off some screens. But but this is going to be bigger than that. They're going to have to control the ball and keep Burrow and company on the bench. Uh, Brent Venables, I listened to some post-game comments from him after the Ohio State victory. And he was sitting there going, oh, my goodness, I don't know how to stop those guys. And factor in also, Mitch, that Clyde Edwards-Elair, who played sparingly Mm -hmm. in the Peach Bowl, will be back. You have to imagine that with another couple of weeks, that hamstring will be healed and that he'll be back and and at full force. So uh, it's Tigers on Tigers. It's in New Orleans. I I mean, I can't imagine uh, LSU not winning the game. But as soon as I say that, I remember – that uh, I saw a team down 16 nothing come all the way back. And Trevor Lawrence, wow, what a performance he put on, especially in that last clock drive, four, four quick plays. Mm-hmm. His legs were the difference. We all thought Justin Fields was going to be the X factor with his ability to run the football. Trevor Lawrence goes for 107 yards yeah. rushing. That one play, that, 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 that one the chart. That one play, I, I don't know whether it was second or third quarter where he takes off and you're like, oh, look at the big man run. He's going to get the first down and get 15 or 20 and get out of bounds. And then before I know it, he's putting it into another gear. I, I couldn't believe how fast he was down the field for that touchdown run. It, it was remarkable. Uh, and, and it changed the fortunes for Clemson. They would not be in this game but for his play both as a runner and as a passer. And it's kind of like what we saw last year where he threw for over 600 yards and six touchdowns in the two games between Notre Dame and Alabama. So don't count Clemson out, especially with all the hoopla going to be going on in, in, uh, in the, in the Bayou, it'll be uh, important for Ed Ogeron to keep his team focused. All right. I'm afraid to ask you for an official pick because I'm afraid the next time we speak, you'll tell me that you flip-flopped on Wednesday. People are yelling at the podcast going, well, how come he didn't call his buddy Mitch to say, or at least send a text and say, I'm changing, I'm officially changing my pick so that I'm Mitch could. Yeah, so, so what official was, pick. Yeah, give me a I'm, score. I'm taking the Tigers. How about that? No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. All right. Give I'm me a score. LSU. Okay. It, it's, a, it's a magical season. I'm taking LSU. And despite the fact that Brent Venable's defense was number one in the country in scoring, number one in the country in yards given up, uh, number one in pass yardage given up, uh, I'm putting – I'm going to say that uh, LSU is scoring 42 points. I'm going to say the game's a 42-30 game. Okay. Uh, Clemson will keep this close, but uh, the Bayou Bengals will find a way to uh, get it comfortable uh, late. And uh, I'm taking 42-30 
LSU. Fireside Home Solutions starts your process of looking for a brand new fireplace at Fireside Home Solutions. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. John and his staff do it better than anybody, whether it's fireplaces or garage doors or barbecues. Start your search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Before you go, you and I were chatting before I hit the record button. Everybody in the Pacific Northwest is wondering how you get a delay of game call after you stop the clock at the one-yard line with 22 seconds to go. And I was driving home from a function where we watched it all together, and the thought that came to my mind was kind of, do sometimes when you rush up and, 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 and spike the ball in lieu of a timeout, is there a psychology sometimes amongst your team that you kind of took a timeout, even though I know it's preposterous, they don't think they took a timeout, but do you, do you exhale like you just took a timeout and then realize, wait a second, we didn't take a timeout. We got to get up and call the next play. What about the psychology of the spl- of the clock play? I think that's a very fair assessment uh, of the clock play. And the clock play is the most overused play in all of football. Uh, collegiate teams do it. Pro teams do it without necessity. You only had four downs at first and goal. Why waste one of them when you have 22 seconds left? Each of those downs, you, I, I understand that you don't have any timeouts left, but you have opportunities to throw into the end zone four times or choose to run on fourth down, if you, or any down you can choose to run, understanding the complications that go along with you know, the clock continuing to roll. But you have four chances to throw into the end zone. That, it doesn't make sense. Now, it takes orchestration. It takes practice almost weekly so that everybody understands what the call is going to be when you get up there. But it doesn't uh, make sense to me to give away one of the valuable bullets that you still have left in your holster uh, when you can't manufacture any more unless without penalty. You just can't get them. So at 22 seconds, I would have let everybody get set, snap the ball, let's say at 18, and made my first down call, I promise you, you can throw a fade, you can throw a sprint-out roll that gives Russell a chance to run or pass, and all those plays you can get done in the next 16 seconds. There was no reason to take a clock play there, and certainly no reason. Rick, Rick, can you can you can you run four? I mean, the idea would be. Let let me just play devil's advocate, and maybe I'm wrong about this. The idea would be, hey, we're not going to have time at 22 or 20, as you say, snap it at 16. We're not going to have time at that point to run four plays. So let's get organized, since we're really going to only have time for three or two. Let's go ahead and get organized and stop the clock and stop the frenzy. Uh, I would agree with you if there was enough time that was clearly left to then run four play. You say the four bullets. Did you have enough time to use the full bullet, four bullets at twenty? Absolutely. Seconds? When you're on the one yard line. Okay. All right. I mean, if we were letting ball, if letting receivers run down the field 15, 20 yards, yeah. you would be right. Right. But when you're on the one yard line, the ball's going to come out of your hand rather quickly. Okay. And uh, you're talking about you know at on average less than five second plays. But if you how about how about if they run Marshawn Lynch on the first play and he doesn't get in, you're not getting four plays well, in at that point. You're not getting four bullets. Which now, which now we're going back to a deeper uh, 
problem that people are still struggling with in the Pacific Northwest when they didn't run Marshawn Lynch in that Super Bowl, that that ill-fated Super Bowl. But ultimately, I thought they made the right choice there because if they would have run Marshawn Lynch on that particular play, he would have been and, and got stopped. Then they would have been in a time situation where they were struggling to get everything done that they wanted to. By throwing there, they kept it a 50-50 proposition. What you want the defense to wonder is, are they running or passing? By continuing to pass, but always knowing you've got this bullet in your hand that says, I can run this back and get my one yard anytime I want. But by doing it before fourth down, you are risking now the opportunity to get more get all four of your plays all four of your chances i'm of the mind you get all four of your chances i don't like wasting one of my chances and it goes back to a long story long ago when troy aikman was the quarterback at ucla and we were number one in the country against washington state and we wasted one of our plays down there and lost the number one ranking to dennis erickson's cougars and it still sticks in my craw so i don't (laughs) use clock plays inside the 10 yard line There he is. He gives us everything he's got, whether it's college or pro, whether it's good picks or bad picks. He gives us everything that he's got. (laughs) I just want to say to you, thank you for everything that you've done. Uh, You've been a really good friend of mine for a long time and really good to me. I wish all the new Heisels a very happy and healthy new year, and I look forward to talking with you to get get your thoughts after the NCAA championship game. Thanks so very much, Rick. You got it, Mitch. The best to you and yours. Happy New Year to one and all. The voice of our buddy, college football expert Rick Neuheisel on the National College Football Playoff. A joke of a first game, a first semifinal with LSU over Oklahoma. And it'll be Clemson, the Tigers, and LSU for the national championship of college football. Question, when was the last time you looked at your mortgage and considered a refinance for you and your family? More and more people are doing just that this holiday season with Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. My buddy Mike even came up to me at a recent Seahawks viewing party and said that he pulled out $12,656.19 and is not paying more than he was originally. So stop procrastinating, continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage will do a deal with you that keeps you right where you are now. No starting the 30 years year period over a refinance gets you out of that mortgage insurance which is costly and also you can pull some money out to do those home improvements or remodels or whatever it is that you wish to do there's only one thing that you shouldn't be doing and that's just sitting there unwilling to at the very least make a 10-minute phone call to find out your options with Jordan Flowers' team at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in their Kirkland office alone. Here's the phone number, 425-250-3150. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is you spend a few minutes on the phone with somebody from Jordan Flowers' team and you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side is, and I'll bet you this is the majority of you all, you can pay less each month with a refi of your home that doesn't start you all over again. It's the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. The phone number, 425-250-3150. Give Jordan Flowers a call. Tell him Mitch sent you. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. 
Great to be joined on episode 72. Kind of a heartbreaking episode for us here in the Pacific Northwest. But Mike, Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, he doesn't care about that. He's all the way back in, where are you, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati area, Mike? I'm in Chicago at the moment. Okay. Uh, doing little college hoops while the NFL was finishing up the regular season in pretty dramatic style. Yeah. What did you think about that game on Sunday night? Missed it by, you remember Maxwell Smart? Missed it by that much, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was bizarre in some ways, uh, to, the idea that you could have a first down from the, almost inside the one-yard line, first and goal. And, of course, you, you, you spend the, the first down figuring three plays with the amount of time left should be enough. And then to wind up, with a delay of game penalty was just bizarre and really hard to defend in that circumstance because it changes the entire end of the game. You possibly could have run the ball yeah. and still had enough time to get a couple more plays. Uh, so you closed a, a half of your playbook by taking that penalty. And then I, I thought that, uh, no, it was it was really unfortunate that they weren't able to get it in when they were able to complete a pass on the final play. Very unfortunate they weren't able to get it in. But San Francisco, give them credit for doing a great defensive job and not relenting when that ball was completed. Mike DeCourcy is a terrific sports columnist and has been for many years of the sporting news. has been very kind to me and my old radio show, now us on the podcast. He does all sports, does college basketball as well as anybody, and we'll segue to that. But I know you're a man of all sports. Did you watch on Sunday night the best team in the NFL or the best team in the NFC in the 49ers as we get ready to now jockey for position in the wild card round? How, how do you see? the teams that are playing are still standing in both the AFC and the NFC. How do you rank them, Mike? Well, you know, it's interesting because Baltimore has played unbelievably well. I mean, it's just extraordinary over the past 10 to 12 weeks. And what they're doing is amazing. But does everybody buy it? Does everybody buy that you can play that way and win a Super Bowl? I don't. Because I don't know that it's ever been done. And I suppose there's a first time for everything. And certainly it's in better hands with Lamar Jackson than one can imagine it being with just about anybody. But still, it, basically playing what's, what amounts to an option attack, no one's won the Super Bowl like that. And until someone does, I'm going to be skeptical about it. I, I, don't, I don't doubt Jackson's talent. He's amazing. He does some wonderful things. But as a, you know, as a, if they get behind, uh, if if they wind up playing an AFC championship game against Kansas City and Kansas City's able to throw the ball around a little bit, now obviously that's difficult to do against an excellent defense that Baltimore puts out there. But if they get behind, can they come back? I mean, those are the things they haven't really had to answer a lot. Uh, They were, I guess, about uh, eight, ten weeks ago, they played against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh had a chance to put that game away and fumbled away the game in overtime. And they and Baltimore actually needed, prior to overtime, they needed a specious pass, uh, excuse me, roughing the passer penalty to, to really stay in the game. So I, I still have my questions about whether or not, as well as they've played, and Lamar Jackson, take your MVP trophy and all that, but I still have my questions about whether or not you can win it all in the NFL 
with that system. Should we have LSU and the Baltimore Ravens swap places? Because LSU runs more of a of a pro-style offense and the Ravens run more of a college. So maybe the Ravens should be playing Clemson in the college football championship and we should put Joey Burrow and LSU out there <laughs> in the NFL and the AFC playoffs, Mike. Well, I'm sure there are lots of people who, after the way LSU went through Oklahoma, will say that would be uh, a, a, a warranted uh, switch. But I, I don't think that... Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the way we want to go, but I, I, I'm fascinated now because I think that every team is going to ha- come into their game against Baltimore feeling like if they can find a way to control the ground game, that they can have a chance. And I, I think when you look at it, I don't know that Kansas City is quite the same as they were a year ago, but when you went into that, that game playing against them, you really sweated whether or not you could control their offense. I mean, you, you, you knew that if you could stop them on the ground, you could hit, get hit through the air if you – if you slowed them on the, in the air, they could hit you on the ground. And I don't think teams will go into the Baltimore matchup with the same double-fronted uh, double fear. But, of course, they do have to find a way to slow that ground attack down if they can't do it. And Pittsburgh, an excellent defense in a, in a circumstance that was kind of a winner-else circumstance, they couldn't do it at all today. Well, I can tell you this. I actually kind of agree with everything that you're saying about Baltimore. My problem is I'm not in love with any of the contenders outside of Kansas City and with the way they're playing in the AFC. You know, yeah, the, I, the, I, the, I don't the, 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 the Bills are a nice story, but are they doing it? I mean, the Texans have kind of kind of been in reverse towards the playoffs. The Titans, again, are a great story between Ryan Tannehill. The Patriots look terrible. They couldn't even beat the Dolphins on Sunday. And, and so, yeah, if it's not the Chiefs or the Ravens, really, who is it in the AFC? That's exactly the problem. And that's, and that's where you come up with the, with the idea that, that Baltimore is in great shape. And so, uh, I, I, but I, as I said, I do think that even though they don't, other teams don't look imposing, I do think that unlike a lot of circumstances – I think they can feel like if they can go into that game and they have a chance. A lot of times you go in as the sixth seed against a really accomplished one. Uh, you know, if you're able to get that first round game and you go in against a really, you know, a spectacular one seed, you know it's going to be almost impossible for you to pull it off. And I think of, uh, you know, I think of, of, of Indianapolis when they went to Kansas City last year and. And they they just couldn't be you know they they just couldn't stay competitive in that game, and so I think that that's kind of the difference. And and we're going to see Baltimore uh, with with what they can do. We're 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 quite possibly going to see them chew up teams that otherwise uh, you know feel like they have a chance. But as I said, I just think that the the difference in the way they approach the game is so profound that a lot of teams are going to go in that, you know, that all the other teams that are in the playoffs, all five other teams are going to go into that game feeling like that they can, that they, they're the ones that they're, they're the ones that are going to, that are going to slow that attack down. They won't fear the multi-pronged attack that other teams have or have had, uh, you know, Brady with, with a running game behind him. You got to worry about Brady's ability to find Gronk or Brady's, Brady's ability to find his wideouts or, or them, them slipping in the run when you're so worried about Tom. But though, 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 obviously, it's not quite the same now. I'm talking about past years, but I, I don't know that teams are going to go into that with the same level of concern 
it's still a consuming concern playing against Baltimore. Don't get me wrong, especially because their defense has been so good as well. But I, I just I feel it's different, and 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 maybe I'll be proved wrong that by the end of all this, uh, yeah. Baltimore will be lift, lifting another uh, championship trophy. It, it'd be their third since 2000. It'd be really an impressive haul for their franchise. But I just I, I continue to have my questions. All right, give me a pick in the NFC. We here in the Northwest, after what we saw on Sunday night, would love to see the Seahawks go back to Philadelphia, beat the NFC champion Eagles, and then, assuming that the Vikings don't end up beating the Saints, I know there's a lot of ifs, buts, and cherries and nuts here, and maybe too much for people to consume and understand, but if the Seahawks win and there's not an upset in the other game, we've got the Seahawks and the 49ers all over again, right? We get, uh, we get the Seahawks and 49ers in the second round of the NFC playoffs. Yeah. I went into that game really feeling good about the Seahawks, even after the Arizona loss. I just think they're a more complete team, but I, I, I just struggle to understand how you can start so slowly in a game played in your, in your home stadium with everything that you had on the line. I don't understand how you can be so uh, in, in, ineffective early in the game when it, you wanted to set a tone, uh, get your fans involved. They just were not precise, not sharp. Uh, they seemed a little uninspired. And then ultimately they played much, much better in the second half and you know came within six inches, yeah. I guess. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think literally six inches yeah. of winning the game. Uh, so I, I, I still believe in their top-to-bottom roster more than anybody else's with their playoff experience, but I think they've got to get Russell Wilson energized when, when they when they play against San Francisco, he can't just be a pocket guy. I'm not saying he's got to run at will, but I think it still has to be something that he shows because it keeps San Francisco honest. Listen, before you run, I can't talk to Mike DeCourcy, the terrific uh, sporting news columnist, without just getting your thoughts on this crazy crazy college basketball season. I, I don't even know what to ask you. I, I'm, my mind is going in three different directions. Obviously, you and I in the last many years have never seen a season like this where there's really just no great teams. They, uh, Ohio State loses, Louisville loses, Duke loses. Canada, in a lot of cases, they're losing to, to inferior opponents. There's, this is clearly there for the taking. Now, Gonzaga is going to hold on, I would think, to the number one spot for a while because they're just not going to play anybody. But is this good for college basketball? Is it exciting? Is it good? Is it bad? How do you view this, this, this oddity? Well, I think it's interesting. I think it certainly creates a, a compelling narrative for the season because so many teams will go into March feeling. You know, I talked about that ASC idea that, uh, uh, that teams won't have quite the same fear as they might in some other years. I think that's more than ever true in college basketball, that uh, no one looks at the top of that chart and says, well, we can't beat them. Uh, uh, I think you saw uh, over the weekend, you saw Ohio State, which had been playing better than anybody, uh, go up against West Virginia and get handled uh, down the stretch, Uh, 14-5 finish for the Mountaineers and a a win for them in non-conference play. And so you've seen Kansas lose at various times. Just a week or so ago, they lose to Villanova. Everybody has been proven to be beatable, and some by teams that weren't all that special. Kentucky loses to Evansville. Duke loses to Stephen F. Austin. That's really just a totally different scenario than we've seen in college basketball recently, and I think there are two reasons for it, Mitch. The first is 
that this freshman class is just not special. I mean, we, we get so used to in basketball, there being five, six, eight guys who can change a team, who can change in some ways change a conference race by choosing a particular school, or if multiple uh, members of that group choose the same school as happened uh, a couple of years ago uh, at, at Duke or it happened several years ago at Kentucky. They can change basically the entire conference and the entire national race by uh, by uh, grouping together. Uh, it, there was no group this year. It, they, you couldn't get them all together. And some of the ones who who are special, James Wiseman played three games and he's right. done. Right. You're not going to play any more basketball right. at Memphis. He's right. decided not to participate in college basketball. His prerogative, I think it's his loss, uh, but uh, he's not going to play. Cole Anthony's been hurt at North Carolina and didn't join uh, a first-rate Carolina team. There's some good players there, but not enough power on the wings for them to be special as a team. And then Anthony Edwards, who I think is extraordinary, joined a Georgia team that wasn't any good last year and then lost its best players, which dovetails into the other reason that college basketball doesn't have any special teams, and that is the increasing number of players who are entering the draft, and I'm not talking about guys who are going to be lottery picks or whatever. Uh, I'm talking about guys who enter the draft and then maybe are the last pick in the second round or not picked at all. Uh, That's really different. We're seeing more and more of those players. That number has escalated every year as the NBA has expanded their rosters a little bit, has added the two-way contract, excuse me, the two-way contract between the G League and the NBA. Guys figure, hey, I'll make a lot more money doing that and you know, I wind up in Fort Wayne. I'm probably winding up in yeah. Fort Wayne the next year anyway. Uh, so now I can get there now and get paid for it. So I'll end with this comment, and I, I'm assuming you're going to agree because you probably have seen our Washington Huskies a little bit. I would think that the next two or three months could be very exciting for Washington when you consider those two or three freshmen. I know that you say there's not a lot of great freshmen, but they've got they've got two two and a half of those guys, if you consider the transfer from Kentucky, in a year where there is such vulnerability in the top 10, if those guys continue to improve and play better, they had Houston beat the other night and let them off the hook at the end. They were right there with Gonzaga until the very, very end. Why not? Why not Mike Hopkins and that group of young players by the time March comes? They're all kind of sophomores and in position to really make a run in the NCAA tournament. Mike? I really like Isaiah Stewart a lot. I, I don't think he is, he is a revolutionary player, an Anthony Davis or something like that, but he's the kind of guy that could come in and be first-team all-conference his freshman year. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but what will be interesting is can they master the zone? Can they master it to the level that when they get to March, first of all, they've done a lot of damage in the Pac-12, either finished first, second, third, something like that, so they can – get a really good NCAA tournament seed? And then can they go into March understanding what that zone can do to opponents? If they can do that, I mean, we've seen Syracuse in some years where their regular seasons weren't great. Yeah, uh, they've, they've gone in and teams haven't known what to do with them. Uh, Michigan State a couple of years ago, terrific team, two lottery picks on their team. They run up against that zone and they just couldn't figure it out. Right. But that team was a that Syracuse team was a little bit more experienced. However, they also were a lot less talented than this Washington team is. So if the freshmen can just get the zone to the point where they feel like they know the inside 
and out of it. And maybe they aren't quite the masters of it that they'd be if they played two, three years. But if they can just get comfortable enough in it so that teams that they face are, are vexed by that zone in the way that orange opponents have been in the past, uh, I think that they I think they have a chance to do really well in March. Happy and healthy New Year, Mike. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, always kind, always great with his time. I hope that we can call upon you time and time again as the college basketball season unfolds. Enjoy the new year with you and your, your family, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Happy New Year. Good luck to the Seahawks, and I'll talk to you soon. Our guy Mike DeCourcy, the columnist of the Sporting News, a little NFL playoff preview, and the world of college basketball as well. Hey, Happy New Year from Tyler Hay and his impeccable team at Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Not only has Evergreen been responsibly growing people's money from all over the world for decades, not to mention developing the Evervestment program for those of us that wouldn't be classified as, let's say, high wealth individuals, but Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots despite having offices up and down the West Coast, a charitable pillar in the community, and a major reason why we continue to churn out new episodes of Mitch Unfiltered every single week. The title sponsor of our March Madness pool and our major championship challenge, four all-expense-paid trips doled out in 2019 by Evergreen, including the bucket list trip with me to Pebble Beach. Check out evervestment.com and see what Evergreen can do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Three great interviews. Rick Neuheisel, terrific. I think Mike DeCourcy, people don't know who he is. Sporting news columnist, really educated, really good. Great writer, great on on radio or podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Brady Henderson. Before we get to the other stuff, I I failed to mention something that we were all kind of hoping would happen, and it's going to happen. It's just, unfortunately, it's going to happen in a loss. Taco Time Tuesday, thanks to Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) That's right. Did you think you'd ever be saying those (laughs) words two weeks ago? Free tacos on Tuesday. Yeah, they won't taste quite as good oh. because of because here's what I tell you because of the loss they won't they won't taste quite as well. Just have a put a little ranch on them. Is It'll, that the key? It, yeah, a little little ranch. Get a little special sticker. Yeah. But Taco Time, everybody gets a free taco at all Taco Time locations, all Northwest Taco Time locations. Thanks to Marshawn Lynch's over the top leap. Could you imagine if they didn't f the thing up with the uh-huh. delay and he did it a second time? We got two tacos in a win. Thanks to Marshawn Lynch. We'll we'll never know the play call. But what do you think the play call was before the delay? Is it a handoff? Is it a bootleg? What play action? What do you think the call was? I think it's a handoff to Marshawn Lynch. Is that right? right? Going oh. going between the ta- going between the tackles. You're killing me. I think it was going, and then I think they were going to be ready if it didn't work to get right back at it with a with a pass play. I think they would have called two plays. You, you probably have a better idea of this. You played. I think they would have. I think they were going to call two plays with 22 seconds to go. It's second down. Remember, it's not first down. Yep. And Rick Neuheisel just on his segment just. Talked about how he does not like the use of the clock. It's overused, and he would not have spiked it at 22 seconds. He wants all four plays. He does not want three. Oh, interesting. Why would you give up a fourth a play? He doesn't like that. I was okay with it, but I think at second down, 22 seconds, you call two plays. The first play is Marshawn Lynch in some way, shape, or form. I think you probably get into shotgun. I think you probably get into shotgun and hand it inside handoff to him. 
So you're looking pass, you're looking like you're in a passing situation that you could pass. You hand him the ball up the middle, some way between the tackles. If he gets in, you win. If he doesn't get in, you quickly get up over the ball and you run like a probably um, a, like a fade, a fade something, yeah, something, which I don't love because they're so low percentage. Yeah, but yeah. that's what I think they would have done. The storybook ending could have been absolutely Those tacos perfect. would have tasted oh. so free. You might have even gone and gotten the tacos I've, had Marshawn gone over for I taco think I tacos. would have had to, yes. Yeah. All right. Marshawn had a pretty good quick quote after the game. I don't know if you saw it. No. I'm going to have to no. clean it up. Somebody asked him how it felt out there with the fans, and he said, straight love, straight up. Twelves can F with your boy. They made your boy feel right at home. That's some solid shit. It's like <laughs> I'm not even sure what any of that means, but okay, I like it. I love Marshawn. It's so great well, to have him back. I, look, I wasn't at the I wasn't at the game. You weren't at the game, but we were at Daniel's, and it was a great night. Thanks to Daniel's Broiler for our third viewing party. Those things so are fantastic yep. and great food and all that stuff. I just I I, I laugh. You saw me come over to you every every t- the first carry at the first few carries he got nothing right and then like the third carry he got like four yards. Yeah, you would have thought they were <laughs> they were passing out million dollar buckets. <laughs> that's right, buckets yeah, yeah. with a million dollar. Yeah. People were high. They were hugging each other. Yeah, that's over. right. It was like a four yard. <laughs> they're down like ten nothing. Yeah. They're down like ten nothing, and he carried it from like their own twenty four to the twenty eight, and people are hugging and tears are coming out of people's eyes. <laughs> it's like we were at Oprah's favorite things episode. Where she, yeah, I was, was like, <laughs> he just ran for four yards. Yeah, that, I was just happy to know that he still has a little yeah. something in the tank. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, that fifteen yard run, he looked pretty good. He just looked like Marshawn. He breaks. Yeah. You're never gonna arm tackle him. Did he look heavy to you, or did he look like he always did? Did he look heavier, or look the same? Did you notice? Because uh, somebody commented to me that he was a little heavier than they thought. Um, I didn't see it. My, well, I think you'd be looking for that, right? You, you, you're, you'd be predisposed to think that he was heavier because mm. he hasn't been playing football and he's been crash coursing. I, I don't know that it was noticeable to me. Okay. Yeah. It just made me laugh. They were showing that clip of him serving tequila shots at yeah. tailgates. And yeah. next thing you know, he's scoring a touchdown for the Seahawks. And we're all eating Taco Time tacos. <laughs> as Amazing. All right, let's do some other stuff and get out of here. Episode 70. Are we going to do episode 72P? We're going to record it on New Year's Day? That's right. You're okay with that? I'll do it, yeah. Okay, and then we'll release it on, on, uh, and we'll have different people talk. What I really want to do, I'm telling you right now without knowing that he'll do it. He probably won't do it because it's the holidays. It's hard to get guests on the holiday this week. Yeah. I want to get my buddy Dean Blandino back on and see what he what he says about them not looking at that penultimate play. Yeah. The, I, I want to hear what the former director of officiating, he'll tell it like it is. I, I can't wait to – and if I can't get him on, I'll text him and maybe he'll just give me an answer via text. Yeah, I want to hear it too. Yeah. Because to me, it's I don't know what – that's not past interference. All right, other stuff. You start. Do you care at all about the 10-part Jordan Bulls documentary that ESPN keeps plugging? Have you seen anything about that? It's going to be yeah, airing next the, year. I've seen the uh, the trailer for it. Yeah, but it's not much of a trailer, right? It just yeah. cut to people saying nothing. Yeah. But by the way. Is it all about Jordan or is it about the NBA, about the Bulls? I think it's the, just Bulls. And like, like people getting ready, like Costas getting yeah. ready to talk or something. That's right. Willow Bay. Did you happen to catch? I love Willow Bay. Well, I love Carmen Electra. Did you happen she to? She was in there. You have to. What is she doing in there? Well, I think she dated Dennis Rodman for a while, who was on the '96 oh, Bulls. Dated him for a while. weren't they married? A they might have been married. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Carmen Electra looks awesome. So next time that's on, you have to look. Okay. I'm All interested right. in watching it, though. I think it'll be interesting. Okay. Can, can we? We really shouldn't have talked about the Seahawks at all this episode. So we should have ignored the Seahawks game. What would people have thought when they put on 32 <laughs> yeah. if we never talked about the Seahawks? It's part of this. It's part it's of the really group that would have liked one it. NFL game that we should have talked about on episode seven. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll let you have your moment. Go on. 
do you need do you need a memory a memory jogger? Do you remember what this team was like at the beginning of the football season? They were they were being called the worst football team in the history of the NFL. Yep. They were losing games by 50, 60 points every week. My Finzies, who late in the year ruined the number one pick, knew it. They started beating, beat, and then they go to the they go to Foxborough when the Patriots are playing for a bye. Right. And my Dolphins go in there and beat them. <laughs> they did it. They did it. Good for them. They go in there and beat them right in Fox, right in front of Bob Kraft, and the right, in, right in their face. <laughs> Don't forget, players on the Dolphins were calling their agents after the first few games, wanting to get the hell out of there. And some of them got out. <laughs> right, Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. went to Foxborough. <laughs> so great. And made and knocked the Patriots into having to play the wild card that's right. weekend. I think that's the first the time Dolphins. in ten years, maybe or something like that. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzy, Fitzmagic. I heard. I my love it. God. Love Fitzmagic. All right, I'm off my Do you see Lamar Jackson taking crap for buying Rolexes for his offensive no. line? I know that he bought stuff for his... They all buy something for their offense. Okay. Isotoner gloves is the best way to go. That's right. Well, this, this is a little nicer. He bought like Rolexes. Did anybody get that reference? And, yeah. Well, well, you got to be about 40 to get that that's reference. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, Marino selling isotoners in Miami. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? He they could have. sell me anything. <laughs> Jesus. He could sell me anything. Okay, so it's an old tradition to take to buy stuff for your lineman. They take care of you. Yeah. Okay, people on Twitter, of course, they have to get into their typical outrage mode. Why don't you just donate that money to charity? Those linemen, they, they, they can buy their own Rolexes. He started taking shit on Twitter for buying his linemen Rolexes. I, I, I can't even believe you're giving the time to the Twitter. You're actually giving these Twitter people time. Right now. I know, but I just want everyone to realize what it's like out there. What What is wrong with people? I don't know. Uh, is that Was that like a big thing? People yeah, were outraged people were like pissed off. Like, what, what, what do you... Do they not know that this happens every single year? Every quarterback in the history of the I NFL know. that's been great gives their gives their offensive line sometimes yeah. really big presence. So do, by the way, so do running backs who gain a thousand yards and win running rushing titles. And it's his to, money. It's been happening for <laughs> years. What, what, why all of a sudden are we outraged by this? I, I would love to grab one of the people on Twitter who are outraged and compare him and, and the money that Lamar Jackson's given to charity throughout the year. Yeah. I'm sure Lamar does a lot. I'm sure he's got a foundation. I'm sure that he's, he shows up and he goes to probably children's hospitals and things of that nature. He's going to make right? 20 million a year at some yeah. point. Yeah. Who's paid more in taxes? Him or everybody who's outraged? By the way, can people he, just he, shut up he's about got, that? He's got to buy a Rolex for every offensive lineman on the team, right? Even if they've never played a down. I don't know. You got to. Not you can't, just the you, starting you, five? No, you can't just draw because some, you know, there's a rotation. Somebody gets yeah. hurt. You can't just draw a line yeah. and go, okay. You seven get Rolexes. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah. you guys can't. And by the way, he's on a rookie salary. I mean, he's not poor, no, but that's no, impressive no. that he spent that. I'm, so every, no. everybody shut no. up. Leave him alone. No. Uh, do you want to uh, Do you want to offer an opinion on the AFC playoffs, NFC playoffs, how far the Seahawks are going to go, how far is anybody going to beat the Ravens? Mike DeCourcy was on this episode of the Sporting News saying he just doesn't trust the Ravens. He doesn't trust the way – as great as he is, really? he's the MVP. He doesn't know that it just he just doesn't necessarily trust that it's gonna take him to a Super Bowl title playing the quarterback position the way he does. What happens if they get behind and he has to throw and he can't run anymore and he, they're down a touchdown or two late in the game and he has to throw the you know that question. Are you taking the Ravens out yes. of the AFC? If, okay. if we're having a draft and I had the first pick in yeah. the draft, yeah. I'm taking the Ravens. Okay. I I'll 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 see your raisins and I'll uh, raisins. I'll <laughs> well, see your raisins personal. and I'll raise you the Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. Really? I think the Chiefs are going to go to Baltimore and win the AFC Championship. I think the Chiefs and Andy Reid are going to the Super Bowl. That's my pick. Chiefs over the Ravens, the two over the one. And you know why the Chiefs are the two and not the three? 
Well, yeah, because the Dolphins Miami's got the win. Got the, <laughs> the greatest football team. All right. And by the way, <laughs> talk about Rolexes. Are, are the Dolphins getting anything in the mail from Chiefs fans and Chiefs and Chiefs uh, yeah. players? Well, Can we get a couple Rolexes? We just went to New England <laughs> and got you guys a buy. We went to New England and got you guys a buy. Yeah. We changed the whole season for you guys. I did hear I Andy Reid. Where my Rolexes? He did say uh, all hell Dolphins or did something. He say something. Yeah, he did oh, say something about the Dolphins. I always liked him. I like him. I like Andy Reid. I was once behind him in an airport. It was unbelievable. It feels like Philly fans kind of ran him out of town when I feel like all he did was win there. He feels like, I was like in a, a good coach. I was in a Salt Lake City airport in between flights, walking from one gate to the other, and there was this just behemoth of a human being. Frank Layden? And no, and he was he was about fifteen feet ahead of me, but huge, and he was looked like he was lumbering and having trouble. You know, he wasn't walking real fast, and it was Utah, and it was probably out of football season or whatever, and I don't even know why I was like God. That guy looks like he could be. It was. I was behind him, 15 feet. I could not see anything but the back of his head. I was like, God, that guy looks like it could be Andy Reid. Yeah. And I get up there, and it's Andy Reid. <laughs> really? Yes. Did you say anything to I, him? No, I didn't say anything to him. Please tell me you've seen the picture of him. Little, he had a little kind of uh, briefcase that looks really little in his hands. Oh no, it's probably it's, a regular. It's full briefcase. size. Yeah. yeah it, maybe it's extra large, but please. I like him. I really like. Tell him. Tell me you've seen the picture he's had of a him. Really hard. Oh, go with, with, with his kids. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like him. But there's a picture of him when he's like 12 at the punt pass kick company. Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, it's fantastic. It's like you and I standing next yeah. to Andre the Giant. Yes. Like, what the hell is that? Yes. All right. I don't know if you saw the the video of the Eastern Michigan playing uh, Pittsburgh. In the Quick Lane Bowl on Thursday night, I know you love every bowl oh, game. You gosh. just happen to watch I them all. No, I didn't watch that. A scuffle broke out late in the fourth quarter, and quarterback oh. Mike Glass the third. Yes, I saw it. He smacked smacked somebody, and then the coach went on a rampage at the end in the press conference. That's not who we are. Yeah, I love that kid. That kid feels badly. He's in that locker room, and he was like crying. Yeah, over yeah, yeah. Guy. But yeah. he he smacked a linebacker Cam Bright in the face mask. But before unloading a strike intended for another player, he was going to hit two. He hit the ref. Did you happen to see that? No. He hits the ref. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, I except saw the for, ref go down. Except for he didn't hit the ref. <laughs> he flopped? Yeah. He grazed his, he grazed like his hat, and the oh. guy just, the ref flopped. I did see the ref go down, oh, but I never God. saw contact being made. Because there was no Classic contact being made. Classic ref flopping out there. Final score, Clemson. Oh, well, it was too early for that because we have another, we have another regular episode. Yeah. When do they play that? They have a couple weeks before yeah, that, so we'll skip that. Uh, I, I continue to go. Do you know about baseball's 30-30 guys? You're going to like this one. Do you like, do you like baseball's 30-30 guys? I, you know I, what a 30-30 guy is I know 40-40. Yeah, but do you know what 30-30 represents in baseball? I, it has yeah. to be with, like with their contract. No, like, thirty thirty guys, home runs and RB, uh, home runs and stolen bases. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like A Rod was a thirty thirty guy, and Jose Canseco cool. I think was a forty forty. He was the first guy. one ever. Who? Jose Canseco. So you yeah, know yeah. what forty forty. So, yeah, so yeah. you know what thirty thirty and forty. Yeah. Well, we have a new thirty thirty guy. Okay. And it's not even baseball season. Jameis Winston. Okay. <laughs> thirty touchdowns, thirty <laughs> interceptions. <laughs> Is that the first time? First time in the history of football. That's really? 33 oh, touchdowns. Wow. Well, well, the question, here's my question to you. He had 33 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. He also set the all-time record for pick sixes. He threw seven pick sixes. So did he have 33 touchdowns or 40? <laughs> when, he's, when, he's, when he's negotiating his new contract, do they go in and go, what do you mean 33? We had 40. We had 40 touchdowns. Uh, the, the owner will say 33 minus 7 is actually 26 <laughs> so or whatever. He finishes with 33 <laughs> touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Oh, He's God. the first quarterback in the history to do that. He's the first quarterback to throw seven pick sixes in a year. He finishes his career maybe in Tampa. His contract's up. The last play of his career in Tampa, if this is the end, 
was a pick six to end the game in overtime. Oh, my God. Okay? And how about this? Just the capper, the capper on all of that is how many yards do you think he threw for? Uh, if he had third, I don't know. He threw for 5,109 yards, the seventh best year in NFL history. As long as we don't so, back out the pick uh, six yards. Can, can we, uh, can <laughs> yeah, you, uh, I know. How do, uh, uh, did he have a good year? <laughs> right. <laughs> year? And, so, and here's the line. Of, I don't know if you like – no one here likes Bruce Arians. I happen to kind of like Bruce Arians because I think he's kind of funny. And Yeah, no one here likes him. No, right. no, yeah. Because yeah. he come, come, came here and wins. But we found out that it, so does all, all Cardinal coaches come here and wins. Yeah. Bruce Arians after the game. He was asked about Jameis Winston and his future. His contract's up, and they got to make a decision because he threw for 5,100 yards. That's a lot. He threw for 30 touchdowns. Yeah. That's great. But he also threw he threw 33, 30 interceptions and seven pick sixes. So what he, Bruce Arians literally was asked, how do you factor in the seven pick sixes when you evaluate whether the team wants him back in the future? He says, doesn't help. It <laughs> sure doesn't. <laughs> Two words. Doesn't help. Nope. That was the answer to his That's question. That's amazing. There you go. The actor who played the Peloton husband, you remember that whole fiasco? Oh, I, I brought it up to you. You yeah. didn't know you didn't really know about the controversy. Right. Yeah. The husband is in trouble. The wife's in trouble. The actors are in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So the actor who played the husband decided yeah. to try his hand at uh, art imitating life, as they say, because he bought his real life girlfriend a Peloton bike for Christmas. He did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's in trouble. <laughs> Don't Just ever a, let that get out. <laughs> Don't ever get that out. Sean Hunter is his name. He dared to test the social media attack that skewered him. And he, he said, Merry Christmas to my actual girlfriend. Please don't leave me. No Drew Brees, <laughs> no Aaron Rodgers on the NFL. You were talking on 71P last week. You were asking me about the all NFL team. And I told you I'm not really paying attention. Well, you should have been paying attention. But go on. Well, there's no Drew Brees and no Aaron Rodgers. As the, there's ten. That's one of the reasons I don't like the team is because I don't like the fact there's 10 quarterbacks. There should be like one or two quarterbacks, but there's 10. And, and Saints fans are up in arms because Breeze isn't on it. Aaron Rodgers didn't make it. Tom Brady did. So it's Brady, Joe Montana. And this is just a, a farce because it really should only be one. Brady, Montana, Elway, <laughs> Favre, Manning, Otto Graham, Sammy Baugh, Roger Staubach, Johnny Unitas, and the greatest of all time. He was the last player. He was the 100th player revealed. It doesn't mean he's the best or worst. He yes, just happened to be the it last one no, revealed. No, it does mean he's the best. <laughs> you think so? Is that... Okay, there was no one ever better. Uh, I'm Dan on Marino. your side. I like Dan Marino. No he's one a... ever threw the ball. No one. I don't. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, you can have them all. 13 was the greatest. Up He'll and out. always be the greatest. Up and out. That's what his dad told him. When you <sighs> throw the ball, up and out. That's why he, he threw it so quickly. LTFF, as Hugh Millen said to me. That was his expression, was, was Dan Marino's expression. Hugh Millen played with Dan Marino for half a second in Miami. Was he like his backup? LT, yeah, LTFF, yeah. let the effort fly. And he didn't use effort. Oh, really? Let the effort fly. <laughs> I like it. That's good. All right, did you happen to see three brothers made history playing on the same yes. NBA court? The Holidays. Former Husky, right? Holiday. The Holiday brothers, Aaron and Justin, they're both on the Pacers. Madonna. And Drew on the Pelicans. Yeah. And you remember Justin played at the University of Washington. They right. played in the same. Same game. Why didn't those parents have like 10 kids? I mean, that's some good genes right there. For all we know, they do. Yes. Seven of them didn't make it. Some of them were in a D-League game. All right. Uh, I have to ask, because I have to bring it up. The Saints tried out Antonio Brown over oh, the weekend. Oh, saw that. Yeah, I, I purposefully stayed away from that. No, we can't stay away from that. Because I think this is an, ex this is an unbelievable story. Ask me why it's an unbelievable story. The, the whole Antonio Brown, will he sign with the Saints? Will he not sign with the Saints? Apparently, the Saints worked him out. Did you hear the story about the workout? 
Well, I heard they brought in like six receivers, and he just happened to be one of them. And he was, according to Adam Schefter, unbelievable in the tr- first of all. Oh God! He brought a camera crew and a posse. When you're trying out guys on, on the Tuesday in the middle of the, they're not bringing posses, and he no. brought an entourage. He brought an entourage and a fam and and a and a camera crew. Sounds about second right. of all. Schefter said on whatever ESPN show this morning or on Sunday morning. He said that the guy blew the Saints away. He caught every ball, whether it was a good throwback. He was unbelievable well, in the trial. I think we all know he can play, right? That's well, I don't issue. know that we knew that he's still, I mean, that even out of being out of football, he apparently walked in as goofy and as crazy and as maybe bad guy as he is. He walked in there and dominated the workout, like looking like the best receiver in the NFL. And the Saints really want to sign him. But of course, the Saints aren't going to sign him until they find out what, whether he's allowed to play. Because the NFL still neg- is still investigating that sexual oh, yeah. assault claim. So they don't know. The Saints don't know where he stands. If we sign him, can he just go right out in the playoffs and start playing? And we put him with Michael Thomas, and all of a sudden we have Antonio Brown and oh, Michael God. Thomas. Unbelievable, I right? I not. I, and, and so when I say to you it's an unbelievable story, here's where it's an unbelievable. When, when ever was – okay, let's just say – he is what everybody says he is, still one of the top two or three or four receivers in the NFL as soon as he puts on a jersey, okay? okay? When has a guy like that all been like avail- walking the street, been available like in the 16th or 17th week of the season? Right. It would be like if you said, okay, we're going to change the rules of the NFL. Playoff teams, free agents from teams that didn't make the playoffs oh. are now free agents yeah. and you can sign them right now. And, but I, yeah. I, I, there's never, I don't think there's ever been, this is like a, a an historic situation if he's really able to play. Now, we don't know whether he's ever going to be able to play. We don't know whether he's ever going to be, at least now, because they could suspend, the NFL still investigating and they could be handing down a suspension. As soon as he signs, they could say, so the Saints are waiting as everybody else. So I, I sent out a poll question on Twitter over the weekend to Seahawks fans, and I asked if if John Schneider was assured by the NFL that Antonio Brown could play right away, would you want the Seahawks to sign Antonio Brown? Now think before you answer this, think about adding maybe the best receiver in the NFL for Philadelphia this weekend. I like just you. putting him on the field with all the Seahawks. Think about that for a second. I like the idea of poaching players from teams who didn't make it. (laughs) Call Zeke Elliott. He's a pretty good running back. I mean, it was 55% no. There were thousands of of answers. 55% no, 45% said yes. So it was kind of split. Seahawks fans were kind of split on this. It How was, do you feel? It about was this? this past year, though, where he was, where we were discovering the text messages, and he's kind of a disgusting person. The question is, how long do we have to wait until we allow people to work again? So we know about the text messages, yeah, and the text messages are exactly what you just said—a disgusting. It's a they're disgusting, yep. and I think they're kind of worthy of suspend. Look, I keep coming back to the Jaron Reed story, right. Yeah. Jaron Reed had an incident in Bellevue, was not arrested by police, was investigated by police, not arrested, not charged with any crime, and yet suspended for six games by the NFL. Okay. What the NFL is saying there and what they've said all along with their actions is 
We don't give a rat's ass if you're guilty in a public court or not. If we feel like you've done something disgusting or that there's a chance or that you've given us a black eye just by being in the headlines. Yeah. Jared Reed's a perfect example. We're going to suspend your ass for six games anyway. You don't have to be guilty of anything. You don't even have to be convicted or you don't have charged. to be charged or arrested. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't even taken to the to, to the police, to the to the station, right? He, 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 but yet they suspended him. So you could imagine that if that's the case with Jaron Reed, that if they decided and told the Saints, we're not going to suspend him, then they must be pretty damn sure that these allegations... Now, the text messages are separate because they're yeah. out there and they're, there's, there's no disputing the text messages. Yep. But if they say to the Saints, he's good to go, we've completed our four-month four investigation, he will not be suspended. After they suspended Jaron Reed, right? Yeah. What is What would the NFL really be saying? They'd be saying... We're convinced this is a bunch of nonsense. I mean, even if it were a shred true or that there would be any, he would be suspended just like Jeremy. Even if there was anything that led to just poor behavior, whether it's a, a crime or not, whether he should be in jail or not, they would suspend him, right? Yep. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, taking arguably the second or third best receiver in the league and adding it's him to your team. Of. Right, it'd be Can you believe the amazing. Saints, the, Drew Brees all of a sudden throwing, like just starting in the playoffs to Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas, it's like unfair. Right. It's like it's unfair. Uh, never heard of before, yeah. right? I think Seahawks fans have probably, it, this is a bad timing for this because of the Josh Gordon thing. Yeah. I think we've kind of had our fill maybe this year so far of bringing in ta talented guys who then don't work out. I don't know. What are the chances Antonio Brown's going to work out at the next team he goes to? He's clearly difficult. People put up with it because he's What's good. What's the chances that he's going to work out for a full year? Very, very small. What are the chances that he goes to a team? If he goes to the Saints who have to play three games to get to the yeah, Super Bowl God, I hope and he not. works out for three games, he doesn't have to work out for very long. For And if he's this good, and I'm telling you, they're saying that he was all world at the workout. Fast, catching it, yeah. everything, just amazing. When he got cut by the Raiders, he took off in flip-flops through his yard and he looks Crazy faster story. than ever. All right, I hate to do this to you on the day that your Dolphins, or yesterday when the Dolphins beat the Patriots. I don't know if you saw the story about Navy football. It was Sunday, not yesterday. It was Sunday that the Dolphins beat the Patriots. It was Sunday, yes. Yeah. But uh, the Navy football team needed to fly from Annapolis to Memphis for their upcoming Liberty Bowl game. And guess what? Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, just happened to have a spare plane and let them use it to fly to their game. I thought that was a very nice gesture of Robert Kraft to let right. the Navy... <laughs> We move on. <laughs> Jesus. LeBron James is the AP male athlete of the decade, and Serena Williams is the AP female Ooh. athlete of the decade. You, you got know, any got any complaints with either one of those two? You know I like me some Serena Williams. I know, and I don't you know I don't like her at all. You know that I've talked about her before. She she lived for many, many years two doors down from my mom and dad. Oh, is that right? Her and Venus. And you never told me that? Have I not told you told you that before? No. Oh yeah. For years. I've always had years, an enormous crush on every, her. Well, you wouldn't like her very much. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like Not hearing nice. that. Not nice. Not sweet. The other one is sweet. Venus is really sweet. Huh. Yeah, yeah polar opposites. So but anyway. Tell me who the, the male was. LeBron James over Tom Brady. Tom Brady finished second. Male athlete of the decade. Serena Williams over Simone Biles. Mm -hmm. And Katie. Lod I just want to say, I don't know why I want to do Marv on Katie. Katie Ladecki. Yes. <laughs> That's the perfect I just want, one. I, yeah. I don't know why. There's the fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco. Yeah. There's certain words I want to do Katie like. Hearing like, it. <laughs> Katie Ladecki is hearing it from the crowd. Yeah, I, I just. I have to talk like Panella when I hear certain names. I don't Katie know. Ladecki. There's. 
Yeah. Ah, oh, you know. He's a hell of a player. All right, Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick. I know you're going to be so happy for them buying a new $28 million home in Malibu. All cash, apparently. I guess they pulled $28 million out and put it in a duffel bag and... You said, know, here's our new house. Double check, price check, double check. What is he, Allstate? Yeah. Well, not Allstate, whatever insurance company he does. Doesn't he do, uh, what is he? Yeah, uh, d- I think it's Allstate. What is it? No. With the, yeah, discount double check. Yeah. yeah so him, it's not Allstate. Him and Danica look like they're serious. They bought a $28 million like Danica, house. Don't like him. Yeah, I know. Don't tell him that he's smaller than you thought he was going to be. Oh, I can't. Not as big. You're not, t- you're not as tall as you thought, thought you were going to be. Don't do that. I can't wait to do uh, it. Christian McCaffrey, Jordan's Roger Craig, and Marshall Falk. As the only men to do what? Okay, I think Christian I'm, McCaffrey, Roger Craig of the 49ers, yeah. and Marshall Falk. I think it's probably an all-purpose yards thing. 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing in the same year. Wow. Three men ever, Marshall Falk, Falk Roger Craig, and Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> good for him. I, I really didn't think he was going to be good in the pros. Are you, are, you follow, are you following this Robert Woods from the Rams story? No. Oh, God. Poor guy. He's being harassed by an ex-girlfriend. It's so bad that he had to get a restraining order against her. He claims that his ex showed up at his property earlier this month around 1 a.m. with a crew of people, and they tried to coax him outside so they could jump him. Right. Who is this woman? Some crazy ex-girlfriend. Uh, yeah. The guy's married. Can you imagine having this in your life when you're married? Oh, my God. He claims he woke up to the gate's call box ringing nonstop. He says when he checked the security footage, he noticed his ex and her crew who were crouching over, covering their faces to avoid being seen Did by you cameras. or the guy that you work with uh, on Cube ever have an issue like that early in your lives? I once had an issue like he, that. He may have. I had an issue. I didn't. I, was always, talk, I, I don't know if I should talk about it, but I had an issue when I first came to town. Was it a female? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's scary, right? I mean. Well, yeah, it got scary. Well, let's talk about it. No, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to. Was it it. was it a listener? Yeah. I feel like I heard that. Yeah. You probably knew it. Yeah, I think I knew it. Showed up in Vegas when we were in Vegas. Oh, that's right. Do you have any recollection of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was waiting for me when I came out to the car. Had CDs that they wanted. It was. It was. Yeah. Did you have to get a restraining order? No, I didn't do anything. I don't think I did anything. Well, I don't recall. Maybe I told the station. The station did something. I don't know. It's it's been a long time, but. I had to tell you, here she is, Mitch. Come on in and say hello. It's been a long time. <laughs> oh, that, that's pretty scary, though, oh, man. That boy. is scary. Letterman had that, too, right? He was like, this woman would. Oh, yeah. Show up at his compound in Montana. Or something. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. All right. I'm just about over. I've got two last things. I've got an athlete of the week. I, well, I've got an athlete of the week. I do want to mention something that's sad, and it brings me to the new year. So why don't you fit? you have anything that you need to finish with, and then I'll finish. I'm going to finish up the show. Last thing I have, show. the top okay. 10 of the most Googled people in 2019. Let's yeah. see if you Please can. Please tell me I'm not on the list. Because <laughs> I don't like what you see when you, when you Google <laughs> my name. The most Googled like person. Who, can you come up with anyone? And this is in America in 2019. Most Googled people searches for 2019 well, in Donald the United Trump. States. Well, Donald Trump. That's what I would have guessed too, but I feel like we no. kind of we kind of know who he is at this point. I don't know if he's getting the most Googled people of 2019. I, I bring it up because it's an athlete at number one. Oh, it is, and it's an NFL owner at ten. Let's see, because well, Robert Kraft, number ten. Again, please don't look me up. Yes, um, <laughs> uh, LeBron. No, it wouldn't be LeBron James. It's not LeBron James. We may have spoken about him in this last segment at length. Tom Brady, not Tom Brady. No. His name is Antonio Brown. Oh, jeez. The most Google. I told you we can't get away from him. <laughs> the most Googled person in the United States, 2019. Okay. Uh, I finish with. Can I finish up now? Yeah, I'm good. I finish up with 72. Uh, number one, 
because this is uh, this is the new year. So I, I want to do that last. But number one, athlete of the week. I owe you an athlete of the week. Yes. Have as any. I don't know if everybody. What percentage of our audience is on Twitter? Oh, I mean, if they're not on Twitter, they're on Facebook and stuff. But I haven't done it on too. Facebook. The, my athlete of the week. You saw my athlete of the week. The it's little awesome. dog. Yeah. I love little dogs who don't know they're little. I that's I love it. There is a video that's gone viral. And if this isn't your athlete of the week, year, month, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. A little dog. I don't even know where this happened, but the video is on Twitter. Surveillance video, like cameras on a porch where two bears got onto the porch of this little house. Yep. And a dog and a little dog was not having it. <laughs> That's right. And it was like, <laughs> you guys picked the wrong effing house and the wrong porch. And this dog went down, not realizing that he was about, tw- what was he, 15 pounds? 15 pounds? 12 I pounds? I was like 10. 10 I mean, pounds? Tiny dog. He went down the step. You got to see, if you have not seen this video of our athlete of the week, I'll put it somewhere. I've already put it on Twitter. I guess I'll put it on Facebook. If you've not seen it, you've got to see it. This dog just says, I've had it with you two. Get the hell out. And he he just, I, I don't want to ruin it for you. He just runs the, he runs down there and handles it. And, and, and the, hand, two bears. Right. Two bears. In the pro wrestling world, they, we call that cleaning house. <laughs> <laughs> Pandemonium here at Madison Square Garden. Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> that dog cleaned house. Oh, it was God. awesome. Anyway, it's the new year, and I want to wish you a happy new year. And Same I want to you. wish in all, all our audience a happy new year. I know you guys have been great to me to be listening to this. I don't even know how many people make it to the other stuff segment. For all I know, 12 people actually listen to this <laughs> segment. I hope more are, are listening right now because we get reminders in the sports world and in the non-sports world every single day to not take what we have for granted, to not take being on this earth and having loved ones for granted, right? Yep. And it happened twice in the last week in the sports world where we're reminded, and I want to make sure that I mention it. Number one, and not necessarily in any order, the the LSU offensive coordinator's daughter-in-law got on a small private plane, daughter-in-law, the offensive coordinator's daughter-in-law, got on a small private plane from New Orleans to go to Atlanta to see the Peach Bowl, and the plane went down. And five or six people, I know that we don't know the names of the others, but she was the most prominent, went down with that plane. Yep. 30 years old, was married to the son, the namesake of the offensive court. 30 years old, gone Yep. at the age of 30. That's right. And then earlier, maybe it was last week or the week previous, an ESPN reporter named Ed Ashoff, I didn't know him, 34 years old on his birthday, Christmas Eve, I think it was, on his birthday, 34 years old, was the picture of health going to cover the Ohio State-Michigan game a month or so ago, contracted pneumonia at that game, and several weeks later died on his birthday, 34 years old. Uh, has a has a fiance was was you know has a, a wedding date and everything else gone thirty four yeah. years old just gone taken from us that's right and so I bring these up not to bring everybody down just friendly reminders this this new year to have a happy and healthy new year and grab a loved one give him a hug and don't take for granted that you can see that person every single day don't take it for that's granted right. and if you're if you're estranged from a loved one, if you're estranged from a mother or a father, if you have a mother or a father or, or a brother or a sister or a cousin, relative who, you know, maybe you're not seeing eye to eye, I'm not telling you what, it's your business, but maybe maybe some, some stories like this might inspire you this holiday season. Pick up a phone and say, hey, how you doing? Anyway, that's my spiel. So I have to name the episode now. 
Yeah, I think I know which way we're going with this. Before we name it, I do want to thank you and thank all the listeners who have been nothing but nice to me. I came on the show. Have they been nothing but nice to you? Well, the, <laughs> the ones I've met in person. Twitter, they're a bunch of a-holes. No, I'm just kidding. But the ones I've met have been so great. Yeah. You, I mean, it's your yeah. fan. It's it's yeah. your listeners that, that you cultivated. Yeah. It's your fan base, and everyone's been very thank you for very warm to me. Thanks and for very stepping nice. in for Jay Ham and, and being a part of it. I Love appreciate doing it very it. much. And, of course, 72. Come on. Come on. It's got to be the 72 It's Dolphins. not Ed Too Tall Jones. I'm sorry. Joe Nash, with all due respect. Oh, love Joe. Love you, Michael Bennett, with all due respect. Fridge. Yeah. Fridge. Fridge. Suffering Thuckatash Dan <laughs> yeah, Deardorff. Right. Come on. 72. 1972. The team that will I will take to my grave as my favorites. I was a young five-year-old, six-year-old learning to, what is this NFL? And the greatest, my, my I had two, I had two athletic heroes number 13 and his coach the jaw yeah the greatest coach in nfl history so i can't say 72 is going to be named the miami dolphins episode it's just the don shula it's episode don shula 72 dolphins 17 and 0 with a backup quarterback and they had to go on the road in the, in the AFC whole thing. championship game <laughs> God, I've been here 17 and 0 with earl morrill <laughs> in the right. afc championship game on the road in pittsburgh I'm episode familiar. don shula happy new year everybody episode don shula is in the books